Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Monday morning, October 9, 843-661-0937. Good morning, Josh. Good morning. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. It is a troubling morning this morning. You ready? No Celsius in the house. No. Hmm. Hmm. So if the show sucks, as it normally does, at least I have an excuse today for why the show sucks. It's not a Celsius-induced effort. Now, how does that happen? This morning. When, when people around here know you and your affinity well, and need it's, for it's, Celsius it's, it's in the morning. It's a routine. I know. I mean, you take a life water, you drink half. You fill the rest with Celsius. So you're not bombarding your, your aging body with 200 milligrams of caffeine. <laughs> you have a plan. Well, I mean, Josh can do that. I mean, I've watched Josh guzzle, you know, the fast twitch in Celsius. I can't do that. i got to be more careful. My aging and decrepit body will not respond like our good friend um, Josh Rev's Braves had a rough go of it mm. um, Saturday. Boy, well, I mean, I, I read an interesting article yesterday in one of the sports websites. Might have been the Athletic. Might have been what? What is it, Clay Trout out, Outkick or whatever? Mm-hmm. You know, with the uh, with the sports coverage. Uh, anyway, it's it was talking about the Braves. Just for whatever reason, do not play well after breaks. It talked about after the All-Star break. I remember. I said going into the All-Star, I just didn't because we were so good before the All-Star, and then we came back and took us a while to get, get going again, And it right? was talking about the the break. They had five days off. Mm-hmm. They just looked like they hadn't, had never played baseball. And, and they played games, I guess scrimmage games, at the field. They tried their best to recreate the atmosphere for the players over the course of last week. You can't do it. It didn't work. You can't do it. And now they're down one at the best of five series. And and being down one at the best of five is a big deal. Being down one at the best of seven, obviously, for folks a little slow this morning with math, um, not quite as important. In other words, one is a less percentage of seven than it is of five. But and they and they lost to the I think the Phillies third pitcher. I mean, that's their number three guy on their staff. The Braves threw their, I guess, ace. I guess this year Strider's been um their ace. It's just a bad setup for the Braves. You win 104 games in the regular season. You lap the field in the National League. You take five days off, and the Phillies are kind of continuing business as usual. And I think Rev and I would agree the Phillies are a good team. I mean, mm-hmm. they're not to be taken lightly under any circumstance or by <laughs> yeah, any stretch. Right but um, but anyway, I, I still think the Braves. I, I am nervous. It's a best of five series. I mean, best of seven. You, you, you know, it's 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 a little bit. There's a little better opportunity to level. Uh, the playing field, but they better not screw up tonight. I mean, they better not goof it up tonight. I think they play tonight, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, so um, uh, go Braves. Revs Braves had a rough go of it over the weekend. Um, I want to touch on college football real quick, and then we'll get to, I guess, the biggest story of the weekend, and that is the um, the Islamic attack, the terrorist attack of uh, our friend and ally in, our friends and allies in Israel, but um, I watched Oklahoma, Texas. I watched Clemson, Wake Forest. Um, I, I, I'm texting. Well, Jason Priester doesn't mind me saying this. I text with Jason, and I said, Jason, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know that one coach a program makes, and Dabo's got all the credit, and he deserves the credit. He's been the mastermind behind the scenes. But you know, the Oklahoma program has taken on the personality of Brent Venables. And the Clemson program is searching for identity. I mean, I'm not. I, I think mean, that's Ven- fair. Venables was not the head coach at Clemson, and I'm not a Clemson, uh, you know, insider or aficionado. I mean, I think I can give a pretty good report on what's happening uh, in Columbia. 
Uh, I can't in Clemson, but I watched nearly every play of the Oklahoma-Texas game. Was that not a good game? Oh, it was a phenomenal game. Two of the Blue Bloods in college football going at it. Um, They'll be our conference brethren next year um, because Oklahoma and Texas come to the SEC, and I think the chickens go to Norman, if I'm not mistaken, in year one of Oklahoma being in the – yeah, the Gamecocks next week, I think, or excuse me, next year, Rev, have back-to-back road games against Alabama in Tuscaloosa and Oklahoma in in Norman. Um, rut row, as Scooby-Doo uh, once said. But um, there, there you go. Josh is alive. And doing, you got a Celsius hit over there somewhere? I've already downed okay, my okay. fast twitch. Okay. <laughs> you slammed it. As you oh, did. yeah. But um, it just looks to me, as the Gamecocks had a bye week, it looks to me that Clemson is searching for some form of identity and Venables was that just, you know, grab a handful of grass and dirt and eat it, spit it out. You know what I mean? He just, he was a fierce, intense coach. Um, the team kind of took on that persona. And now that he's gone, it looks to me like they're kind of struggling. Okay. What are we now? Clemson still got a lot of good players. They're just not playing real good. <laughs> it's kind of weird. A lot of good players just not playing uh, real good. Just kind of searching for, for some sort of identity or brand, um, and Oklahoma is not. I mean, Oklahoma is legit. Uh, I think uh, one of our listeners sent me a text. You watching this game? Yeah. If there are 11 teams in America better than Oklahoma, my butt's a radio. And I uh, kind of agreed with him there. Yeah, they look like to be one of the – and I think this this week they moved up all the way up to number five. But um, Texas and Oklahoma look to be two of the five best teams in the country. I mean, they really – and, uh, and and truly do. 843-661-0937. So you see, going into the weekend, I was starting to think, now not necessarily as much now, but you know, with all the chatter about is Georgia as good as everybody says they are, I, I could have argued that Texas should be number one going into last weekend. Texas still played great, obviously, again, a great game. But I think Georgia also proved itself a little Every bit. Every now and then, and this is how you know what a team is really, really good. When the, when the, when the chatter is like that, um, I'll give you an example. I was told yesterday morning by all the NFL insiders that the game last night between the Cowboys and 49ers was going to settle who the best team in the National Conference is, the NFC. And I'm saying to myself, no, it's not. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure this. I'm sure the 49ers and Eagles are much better than the Cowboys. Oh, no, 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 America's team. You know, how about them Cowboys? I mean, everybody wants to believe that. And I kept thinking to myself, really? I mean, you think the Cowboys are as good as the 49ers and Eagles? I mean, I don't know who's better out of those two. But both of those are a good bit better than than the Cowboys. And I think 42-10 in an NFL game is a rout. And that's what the 49ers did last night to the Cowboys. But but I think Georgia fits that kind of, you know, what's wrong with the Bulldogs? They got a lot of good players just not playing really, really not taking care of business like you would expect them. And every now and then, a Kentucky comes to town. And the chatter is, well, we'll find out now. Well, we did. You did find out. You find out they're a lot better. As a Gamecock fan, here's where your mind should be. You ready? If you lose to Florida Saturday, wow. I mean, th- this thing gets ugly. Missouri's better than I thought. I'm, I don't think Kentucky's quite as good as I thought. Alabama and Vanderbilt are about who we thought. I mean, that, that's yeah. kind of that, that was my takeaway. I can't disagree. I mean, Missouri played LSU tough. I mean, they, <laughs> they had did. every chance to win that game. Uh, Missouri's better than I thought they were because I said LSU will just, I mean, they, yeah, Missouri's had a lot schedule. LSU will take care of business. Um, but now, I mean, A&M played Alabama tough, but I kind of thought they would. I mean, I, th- I really thought Texas A&M would play Alabama 
I'm tough. I did think of our good friend Randy Cato when the Miami Hurricanes. I, I don't get it. I mean, I don't understand it. it that's why they call it victory formation. Right. Because <laughs> you do the math and say, we can't screw this up unless we hand to a running back and he fumbles and they throw a touchdown pass mm-hmm. with one second. Um, to well, go. Why do you ever take that risk? You, you don't. I mean, you, you don't and stay employed long. Right. <laughs> you know, and uh, Mario Cristobal is a up-and-coming head coach, but he made a grave error against Georgia Tech yesterday, excuse me, Saturday, and the uh, the rambling wreck of Georgia Tech made them pay made them pay the price. But back to your chickens. Um, you, got ro- you got a home game against Florida. If you lose that one, uh, I mean, it, it could get real ugly real quick. You got road game against A&M in Missouri. <sighs> Missouri's better than I thought they were. Mm-hmm. And Kyle Field is Kyle Field. And then you come home, and this is the weird thing about this year's Gamecock schedule, you come home with four consecutive um, games to complete the season. You've got Vanderbilt, Jacksonville State, Kentucky, and Clemson. And the Tigers are struggling. I mean, Clemson at home is a more winnable game than Missouri on the road. I mean, I'm just being a realist. I mean, Clemson in the Williams-Bryce Stadium is a is a more likely win for the Gamecocks right now today than Missouri in the other in the other Columbia. Now, I mean, a lot of things can happen and change between then. But I've had, I mean, I've wondered, okay, what's up with Clemson? I mean, what's happening there? They didn't fall off the planet. I mean, they're struggling with teams they shouldn't struggle with. What's going on there? And I and I'm telling you, when I watched Oklahoma and Texas, I think I saw a lot of what's wrong. With Clemson, Brent Venables was that big a deal in that town. I mean, he was that important uh, to that program. So, you know, as a Gamecock fan, I'm glad he's gone. I'm glad glad they're trying to find uh, their own identity. It's hard to laugh and joke and smile uh, with with this crazy world we live in. Most of us, um, sometimes Saturday, maybe Friday night, started getting into this news about um, Hamas and, you know, it's hard to do a radio show on things that very few of us understand. I mean, it really and truly is. Um, I mean, I've heard of Hamas for a long time. I've heard of Hezbollah for a long time. I've heard of Gaza and the West Bank for a long time. Um, I mean, I know that the Iranians fund Hamas and Hezbollah. Um, I read something yesterday in the Wall Street Journal, interesting to me, that the Soviet Union had historically been kind of the patron, that they would – talk Iran down from doing some of the, you know, drastic things toward, toward Israel. Um, I, I guess the best way to Iran would rather Israel not be on the planet. The Soviet union doesn't, doesn't buy into that. And there's these friendly slash unfriendly, holy slash unholy alliances around, around the world. I mean, I've got a theory. One of my theories is we've let it be known how we're struggling being able to provide for Ukraine what the Ukrainians say they need. And I think that the world, and I'm talking about Hamas, Hezbollah, Ukraine, excuse me, the uh, the Soviet Union, the Chinese, I guess, will be paying close attention to this, are really beginning to understand that America's in decline. And when we when we do these very horrific but risky endeavors, um, America's not going to be as inclined. Now, now, once again, there's more of an anti-intervention streak in America today than there ever has been. If you ask the American public, you know, hawkish, dovish views, I, we're less hawkish, I would argue, on average, than we've ever been. Um, but, but, you know, when you start putting this puzzle together, 
you, you really, it's almost like we need an expert in here. We need somebody who understands the formation. I mean, I went back and read the, the Jews and, and Palestine, Palestinians basically come from the Canaanites. I mean, if you go all the way back, and ancestral, and I'm talking about genetic and, and uh, you know, archaeology. Not all right. What am I trying to say here? Not our, uh, archaeology. Um, archaeology and genetics suggest that uh, you can trace some of the Palestinians and Jews all the way back to the, to the Canaanites. My dad, and I've said this a million, my dad was not educated by any stretch of the imagination, not formally educated, very, very worldly and very savvy about what made the world go around. But my dad would always say when something would happen in that part of the world, my dad knew nothing about Hamas or Hezbollah or the West Bank or the Gaza Strip or Israeli or the Yom Kippur War or the Six-Day War. I mean, he would have said, I don't know anything about that. But, but I know when one group of people would rather their neighbor not exist, it's hard to find peace, hard to find harmony for any sustained period of time. Now, we can go down the road of the $6 billion, you know, that the, um, that the Iranians received. It was their money. We had freeze some of the money uh, in exchange for prisoners. And, I mean, I'm not talking about spies in Iran. I'm talking about just, you know, good, decent Americans happen to be in Iran and get, you know, taken as prisoner. Um, but, but, you know, Tony Blinken basically saying we don't have any bookkeeping evidence that Hamas used the $6 billion. Well, of course you don't. It's a terrorist organization. But they don't ask permission. And money is fungible. And if they've got $6 billion set aside to do X, Hamas is funded by the Iranian government at about $100 million a year, somewhere thereabout. I mean, it's a state-sponsored terrorist organization, and the Iranian government has set up, I and mean, they've gone on the record that, you know, the, the nation of Israel should cease to exist and every Jew should be killed. I mean, it's not, I mean, we I understand it's complicated. It is complicated. It's complicated. Where, where did, you know, where, 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 did the, where did the Gaza Strip come from? I mean, why would you have a North North Bank, you know, West Bank. I'm sorry. By the way, I believe they also are death to America as part of sure, what they believe. Sure, sure they are. Well, I mean, we're out. It's the Western. They're world. on the record. I mean, the, the the macro of all the macros is fanatical Islam incompatibility with the Western world, and and here we are again, and we'll be here again and again and again and again and again and again. Um, you know, it's just interesting to me. Let's take a break. I don't want to go too long. Uh, we're back on this new schedule Monday morning. Don't want to doing all the good work we did last week by staying on schedule and hitting our markers as we should. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Let's play a game, Josh. You and Rev. You ready? I mean, there's no embarrassment here, and, and we'll learn together. What is Hamas? Uh, some Muslim terrorist group. Okay. Rev? Yeah, I mean, that's how I, but, but you, I, mean, I the, perceive them. But- okay, what is Hezbollah? So you hear all these uh, things. I mean, we hear these words yeah, all the time, you right? Don't know. I mean, you know, yesterday I started I'm really trying to better understand it. Wall Street Journal's got a good article that walks through the history of um, of how we got here. But but the crux of the matter is when the when the Jewish state was established and Israel become a na- or became a nation, um, it, it sat in the middle of people who want to abolish the planet Earth. I mean, they, they don't want it to exist any longer. And I don't know what sort of foreign policy you can develop there, right? I mean, what, 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 what sort of diplomacy? I mean, this is much deeper than diplomacy. I mean, we're talking about, you know, um, th- th- this is religious war. I mean, th- this is a, a view of the world 
incompatible with another view of the world, Sharia law and fanatical Islam. And I mean, this, the, the first question you've got to ask yourself, and I don't know the answer to this, are, is the Muslim faith incompatible with Western culture? I mean, I know Sharia law is, and the majority of Muslims in the Middle East ascribe to the notions of Sharia law. So why would you expect them? Why would you ever believe that they're going to stop trying to abolish Israel from the planet Earth? Kill every Jew. I mean, they've said that publicly and privately. Kill every Jew. The states endorse these terrorist organizations. They fund these these terrorist organizations. And if you go back, once again, something I read yesterday, and I mean, this would take far more expertise than I have to explain. And I wish we had somebody with a, a historical understanding of how we got here. I mean, I understand the Jewish state. I understand when, when Israel got uh, reestablished. There's some, I mean, there's some prophecy there. Uh, it's biblical about the Jewish state being reestablished and the second coming of Christ, if you want to get into the, the Christian faith. But, but I think it's Hamas. Who is Hamas? It's Hezbollah. That, you know, on that Gaza Strip, in that, in that West Bank. And I just think it's, I don't know if it's important, but I think it's interesting to try and understand some of the geographic, uh, religious, economic um, realities. Uh, but we gave $6 billion to the Iranian government. It belonged to them anyway. We froze the money uh, because, and, and let's, let's, let's back up a half step. I want to get Rev and Josh's take on this because I tweeted something yesterday um when the news broke that hamas had attacked israel the biden administration via its foreign policy office and that's not exactly the name but it basically said that they're calling on israel to demonstrate restraint and then i think they realized hey this isn't just uh you know a scud missile shot across the border I mean, this is a full-fledged invasion. It's barbaric. There are rapes and murders and all sorts of um, just disgusting and despicable sorts of things. So the Biden administration came out with a statement, you know, Israel has a right to defend itself. As a red-blooded American, I'm, I'm concerned and I'm interested and I'm curious. You ready? Is America a part of the world or is the world a part of America? I mean, do we, do, 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 does Israel sit around does Ukraine sit around? Does Poland sit around? Does France and Italy sit around waiting on America to say, okay, you can do waiting this? Waiting on our permission. Or, yeah. or you can't do that. So the, the Biden administration, and I'm not picking on the Biden, I mean, the other administrations have done this, both Republican and Democrat. Um, you know, let's, let's tell Israel what we think they should do. They should demonstrate restraint. Well, I mean, you, you've, got, you've got houses being just torn apart. You've got businesses being bombarded. You've got rapes and murders and atrocities, human atrocities happening right before your very eyes. Excuse my French. I don't give a damn what America thinks I should do. But, but it's almost like we've gotten to a point in our existence that we believe the world's part of America. And it's the neoconservative mindset. I mean, it's the post second world wars, Bretton Woods. It's all these things we've talked about, you know, um, to the victor go the spoils. We were the heroes of the Second World War, and we've, you know, we've uh, basically commanded a certain presence in our geopolitical affairs around the world. But if I'm in Israel, the last thing I'm taking thinking about is what America believes I should or should not do. I mean, I'm going to defend myself, and they will vigilantly defend defend themselves. But if you ask one central question, 
I mean, once again, you don't have to know what Hamas is or Hezbollah or the West Bank or the Gaza Strip. You don't have to understand exactly when Israel was established as the Jewish state. You've got to ask yourself, is, is the Muslim faith incompatible with Western culture? And I think the answer is yes. I mean, I, I, am, I am 1,000 million trillion percent sure that Sharia law is incompatible with, and, and we've almost tried to suggest, because I can tell you what will come in a day or two. The AOCs of the world will, will, will offer up some ceasefire. The uh, Talibs and some of the Muslims in in America, I mean, they, they'll offer they'll offer up. Uh, you know I, what they'll probably do. They understand that this is a little bit different than normal. I mean, this is not a Scud missile shot from Gaza into you know um, Tel Aviv. I mean, this and it this, also appears that Israel is ready to go in there and clean it well, out. It, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu said it's war. I mean, this is a war. And we're going to basically destroy the Gaza Strip. Now, what that looks like on the other side, I don't know. Um, I, I just believe that a lot of this happening around the world, and I'm talking about China being unpredictable. I'm talking about the Soviet Union um, not being as conforming. I mean, the Soviet Union has always been expansionist, but but it's almost like there's a certain giddiness they have, a certain um, disrespect they have for the United States. I think a lot of this is because the world sincerely believes that America is in free fall, that America is in precipitous decline. I think the world's known for a long time that we've not managed our nation's financial affairs well. We've made some. I mean, look at guys. We look at the way we withdrew from from Afghanistan. I mean, that that's in the Biden administration. Uh, you know, Biden, uh, Afghanistan, Ukraine, and now Hamas and and Israel. I mean, you, but, but, but think about it. You've got a decrepit, a demented old man. And I got to believe that Hamas says if the Americans are crazy enough to elect that guy as their president, it's obviously diminished, significantly diminished. And we don't think there's a price to be paid for that. We got this American arrogance and I think it exudes itself in ways that are just not attached to reality. We're not who we were. Period. We're not. I mean, at, at 6.35 on a Monday morning, some, you know, college dropout from a town with no stoplight is announcing on the record, we're not who we were. We're not who we think we are. We can't dictate and order the world. We can't say grace over our own business. Kind of we, we've, we've, we've elected and appointed and nominated incompetence after incompetence after incompetence after incompetence, and I think we're at a place now where that rooster's coming home to roost. I mean, we're just, I mean, Anthony Blinken basically said, well, I mean, you got to take a terrorist organization at their word. I mean, we checked the records and there is no record. I mean, how stupid are we? Are we that gullible as an American people to believe that the Secretary of State, who is one of the leading uh, diplomats in America, probably the leading diplomat in America today, goes on television show after television show yesterday and says, there is no record of Iran funding. Well, of course there is. I mean, Iran is a state sponsor of terrorism. They hate the Western world. They despise Western culture. It's religious. It's economic. It's, it, it's, it's culture. I mean, there's so many things. It's just it's bizarre to me. And I don't think you've got to be an expert on Hamas, Hezbollah, the Gaza Strip, the West Bank, the, uh, the Jewish state to understand that America's in decline and the world perceives America to be in decline 
and the world's going to get a little bit crazier. And, and I love it when Chris Christie says, well, you know, the world's a safer place when America leads. Can America lead? I mean, let's ask ourselves that. I mean, I, I'll buy into that. The world's a safer place when America leads. How do you lead when your president is 80 and doesn't know what day of the week it is? How do you lead? I mean, think about that. I mean, uh, you know, the world's a safer place when America leads. We elected an 80-year-old man who doesn't know what day of the week it is. And we're asking America to lead? Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone's on the phone? Yep. Breeze. Okay. Good morning. Hey, guys. You know, I was thinking about this kid last night. And what I did was is I started thinking of every crazy conspiracy theory I could come up with. Because I just don't trust any of these governments anymore. There are no good guys in any of this. Even though the Israelis were attacked, their government's not. I mean, I get, you can say maybe they're a little gooder than some of the other people that are badder. Just like we both think we're a little gooder than the other people that are badder. But I tell you this, they're cousins. The, the Palestinians, the Arabs, the, the, the Persians, the Jews, they're all cousins. And if you go back in history, the Jews were not yet. The Jews and the Muslims, they think of Jesus as a prophet. They do not think of him as their, as their Lord and Savior like we do. You know, so, in fact, the Jews were as much about killing Christians, you know, they killed Jesus. Nobody. 
the hell knows at this point. I do know this. I don't have any trust whatsoever for any government on earth, not a single one of them. I've been a radius before, kid. We have some at Citadel. <laughs> and i got to tell you, I like most of them are very nice guys. And a lot of them thought just like we do. You know, they, they think the way we do. They just want for Daggle get a job, raise their families, and uh, live in peace. It's the damn governments that are that, are, that constantly are screwing up the world. Thank anyway, you. I, there's, more, there's more to this to be sound, brother. Thank you. Thank you, Bree. Well, I mean, the, the one thing, and I think we can all agree to this, I mean, I, I've not heard Hamas, Hezbollah talk about what pronoun do you identify as. What, what um, you know, how do we make sure we don't hurt your feelings or, you know, make sure we give you your safe space or give you your, I mean, if let's, for argument's sake, I mean, I think we all agree terrorism's bad. I mean, it's bad. Terrorism is bad. Terrorism aimed at Jewish people is bad. Americans is bad. Germans is bad. Aimed at Scandinavians is bad. Terrorism is bad. But there's got to be some equal and opposite force. And it's, it's got to be competent. And I think Breeze is only a word here. It's got to be good. Where are the good guys now? Who are the good guys when it comes to geopolitics and diplomacy and, you know, making sure people in certain countries are taken care of and done right by? Who are the good guys? I mean, I think we all understand Gaza, excuse me, um, Hamas and Hezbollah are the bad guys. But but I, I doubt very seriously in the weirdest way imaginable, uh, you know, that they adhere to a certain code. The code doesn't say, hey, Rev, uh, what gender do you identify as today? You know, what pronoun do you identify as today? Western culture's lost its mind. And it's made itself weak as a result. And if terrorist organizations, if the if, if people in country X depend on the the military and the intelligence community and the you know the um the government to some degree in that country to to be competent and resilient and result oriented, then there's going to be kind of a, an equal and opposite force. But but I think these terrorist organizations perceive governments to be weak. And and marginalized and you know, um, hey, did you? I mean, do do we not believe that the the members of Hamas sit around one day drinking a beer and saying, hey, did you see in America that they're allowing cross dressers in the military, and they've got some dude that identifies as a woman? I mean, you don't believe Hamas and Hezbollah have those conversations? I mean, Hezbollah is on the back of a pickup. I think they laugh. Sure, they do, and and they, you know what, they perceive weakness. I mean, Rev, I wish they would laugh. I really do. I wish they'd laugh. They don't. They're they're the cheetah and the gazelle. They perceive weakness. They want to destroy our way of lives. And as long as we're competent and diligent and prepared, and we're not asking about, you know, um, should we build a, uh, what was this debate we had not long ago about uh, fighter pilots? You know, should we have fighter pilots with pouches for, you know, uh, women who are pregnant and, and, and men who want breast implants. I mean, should we build, I mean, you don't think Hamas and Hezbollah sit on the tailgate of a truck and, you know, kind of plan accordingly? We're not competent. We're not effective. We're not efficient. We're not good at keeping people safe. We're not good at governing a nation's affairs. And these countries around the world perceive that. And Iran sponsors terrorist organizations. And Iran, I mean, I read over the weekend in the Wall Street Journal, Iran gives directly and indirectly about $100 million a year to a Hamas somewhere in that neighborhood to Hezbollah. And, you know, I don't know what's happening in Israel. Did, did any of the Israeli, 
associations with the Western world lead to what pronoun do you identify as? Are you a man or a woman? Um, do you want to be a man? Do you want to be? I mean, you got, there's a weakness there that groups that wish harm will take advantage of. I mean, they just simply will. 843-661-0937. I know we got a call. Let's take a break. We'll get back to the call on the other side. Rev made a very interesting point during the break. He hardly ever does, but he did this morning when he said how many visuals we've seen from Israel and how little we've seen from Ukraine. And thought mm-hmm. of that. That's just kind of an, I don't know what to make of that. I don't know if there's anything to make of that. Now, I did read over the weekend some of the Democrats were saying, shame on the Republicans for not having a speaker and we can't do anything and Washington is dysfunctional and our friends in Israel need our need our support. I don't know what would be different if we had a speaker. You know, I mean, I think this week we may try to advance that down the field a bit. Um, Fox News Radio's Ryan Schmelz is in a is with us this morning, and Ryan's done a good job of updating us almost daily on what's happening uh, with the Republican Party replacing Kevin McCarthy with maybe Scott Solis, maybe um, Jim Jordan. But, um, Ryan, what what is the latest? I mean, should we, by the end of this week, know who the newest Speaker of the House is? Well, I think there's a good chance we will. You know, right now we're expecting the House conference to meet today, tonight, I should say. Uh, then they're going to have a candidate forum behind closed doors on Tuesday, have likely a vote on Wednesday behind closed doors, and then we will have the official speaker's uh, election on Thursday in front of the House of Representatives. So that's what it looks like right now. And as you, as you know, there's those two candidates that we're likely looking at between Jim Jordan and Steve Scalise, but there is a push right now to potentially get Speaker McCarthy back into the race. Wow. When did that happen and what precipitated that, Ryan? Right. So so I, I think a lot of that had to do when Speaker McCarthy uh, announced that he was running for re-election. And, you know, there's been this push from some members to get the threshold raised, the 218, at least the conference rules. So you have to get 218 votes from the entire Republican conference. But one of the members I was speaking with about this pretty much said, well, if we if someone can't, if we can't get on the same page, then maybe we have to consider having the speaker that we originally had back in office. Um, and he didn't say for sure if McCarthy wants that job or not, but he said there were 212 people who were exuberant when they found out he wasn't leaving office. And now you have Carlos Jimenez, the uh, uh, Republican from uh, South Florida, coming out yesterday and saying that he thinks that that should be considered as well. So there's a lot of ramblings about it, but whether or not there's enough, we'll have to wait and see. Very well explained. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate your time. Have a great day, sir. Hey, have a good one. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we didn't bring up the Orioles, and he didn't bring up the Braves. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Orioles, Thanks. Dodgers, and Braves had great regular seasons and <laughs> lost their first playoff game of the uh, of the series. Okay, Josh, um, you walked in the door, and he said, hey, I don't know if you want to go down this road or not, but I've got kind of a different take than most people have. Um, and it's not, a, it's not an anti-Israel take, I don't think, by any stretch of the imagination. No. Explain yourself, young buck. Yeah, so I was saying – you know, we've talked about Ukraine a lot on this show since since I've been on here. And I'm sure you've talked about it a lot before. And it seems that the sentiment is, you know, it's not great. Like, we don't wish for war. We don't wish for people to be blown up or taken hostage or whatever. But as, as America firsters, we, you know, we can't babysit the world. It's just not... 
reasonable, you know, and if I, if I had a magic wand that can make the, the world the way I wanted it, I would use it, but we don't have that. And we have to kind of accept, I think, that we're not the ultimate superpower in the world anymore, at least not to the degree that we were in the 90s and, you know, after the Cold War. And I kind of feel the same way I do about Israel that I do about Ukraine, where, again, you know, Rev was talking about, like, some videos he saw on Twitter of, like, just terrible things happening over there, terrible things being done over there. And it's sad. You know, I don't wish for those things. But at the same time, it it's not really our problem and and i think it complicates things to to get involved in and the way i see it is th- that's just how things are over there i mean that like people it, it's savage behavior and i you know i hesitate to call people savages but i don't think you're right they're this, savages this kind of stuff is being done on both Hamas sides and you know, Hezbollah are savages yeah i've seen and I and I've seen they would things, probably insult it if you didn't call them savages. May, yeah, probably. And I've and I've over the years, you know, I've heard uh, things done that the Israelis have done to the Palestinians. I mean, the Palestinians believe that they were displaced from their homeland, and that's what the Jews believe in Israel. And like, yeah, I've heard stories and and seen videos of Jewish snipers shooting Palestinian kids. It, not you know, not to belittle what the Palestinians are doing right now. But or Hezbollah or whoever, but I do think that like I I'm starting to see a little bit of a double standard in the conservative party, you know. So you your problem is this: the historical nature of our relationship with Israel is different than the historical nature of our relationship with Ukraine. You would agree to that? Yeah. I mean, it really gets something. I let's let's be careful here, but it gets it's, it get it gets a bit biblical. I mean, I will bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. The Jews are the chosen ones. And the 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 the, the modern American Christian has perceived that as somewhat prophetic. You know, that there has to be an intense loyalty we pay to the Jewish state. If we are going to be in God's will, and I'm talking about the, the Christian faith. I mean, if we're Christians, we can't turn our back on on on, on Israel because that's the Jewish state. I mean, it, it's not the same with Ukraine. I'm not, I'm not I'm not arguing against what you're saying. I understand what you're saying, but I'm saying the reason the majority of Americans have a different feeling about Israel than they do Ukraine. I mean, I do. I struggle with this. I'll tell you where I land this morning. You ready? Mm-hmm. I do believe that there is a, a more intense relationship America has with Israel than they do Ukraine. I think you would agree to that. Whether it's right or wrong, there is more intensity. Yes. The, there, the, the, People like me who said, let Ukraine fix Ukraine are not as easily swayed by those who said, let Israel deal with Israel. I mean, right. I, I, would, I would say, whoa, 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 whoa. No, you can't be one and not the other. Uh, there is an historical and, and maybe even a spiritual relationship here that the American people have, the American government have with the Israeli government, the Israeli people. We, we feel led, almost called to be... Uh, Israel's guardian if they need one. Now, now I'm of the opinion Israel can pretty well take care of themselves. I mean, they've proven that over the long haul. Um, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not opposed to sharing technology and fighting information and, you know, making sure that America uh, allows Israel to defend itself to the best of their abilities. And if that includes American technology and warfare, I'm not, I'm not opposed to that. Um, 
I, I'm I'm one hundred thousand percent opposed to any American dying in Israel fighting Hezbollah or Hamas. I mean, I don't ever want that to happen. I don't ever want a single American soldier to die in uh, an Israeli city in the name of defending Israel against, you know, the the, uh, the 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 Arab states. And I'm talking about, you know, the Iran sponsors Hezbollah and Iraq. Excuse me, and um and uh, and Hamas. Um, I mean, there's a big debate. You're right about displacement. Who owns the Gaza Strip? Who owns uh, the West Bank? It's complicated. It's extremely complicated. Um, and I don't know how you alleviate that complication. I mean, it's um, the guy that, that uh, Hillary Clinton read poetry at his wedding. What's his name? Rick? Jake Sullivan. Yeah, Jake Sullivan. I mean, he said, you know, one day last week, the Middle East is as peaceful and quiet as it's been in a long time. That didn't age real yeah. well because we know now that the Iranian government was masterminding with Hamas planning this attack on, on Israel. It's complicated. But, but I, Josh, you make an interesting point. You're basically arguing the inconsistency there, right? You know the the um, the neocon wants to intervene in Israel. They want to intervene in Ukraine. I mean, they 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 buy the Second World War. You know, America needs to kind of police the the world. I'm arguing that as much as neocons have a desire to police the world, we can't. We can't anymore. Our resources have become limited. The world has become even more complicated, and it's unrealistic to believe that we can police the world. That's why it concerned me that the Biden administration released a statement, I think Friday, saying um, basically, you know, um, encouraging Israel to stand down. And then, you know, an hour later, they said Israel has a right to defend itself. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, okay, is is America part of the world or is the world a part of America? I mean, does the, does the Israeli government wait with bated breath? for the American government to say, okay, you can execute, you know, an attack or you can't. I mean, are we that arrogant? Are we that out of touch with reality? Are there countries around the world that really and truly, because of the, you know, the post-Second World War world we live in, are they really waiting on America to grant permission or not? And if America grants permission, does that mean we're in? You know, we're, we're committed. I think historically we have. I think the neocons have pretty much commandeered the process. And when America said, you know, Israel has a right to defend itself, Israel hears, not only do we have a right to defend ourselves, America has our back. And the biggest, baddest army in the history of mankind is at our avail. And they'll do whatever, that they'll provide us with whatever it takes to defend ourselves. And I think, Josh, is it's kind of an interesting moment in, in history if you look at it through that lens. Is this the day? that America first is so prominent in Republican politics that we look at Israel like we do Ukraine and any other country and say, hey, man, we hate it. We, we hate it with all our hearts. And, and and we'll do some things, but we're not getting but so involved. I mean, is that the new world we live in? Well, Nikki Haley's tweet over the weekend, she said this is not just an attack on Israel, it's an attack on America, and she encouraged Netanyahu to, quote, Finish them, but I mean, she is a neocon. Yeah, she, I mean, she is a neoconservative. She wants us to go to war sure. so bad. I mean, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, you could easily argue that Nikki's a warmonger. I mean, that, that's easy to argue. And, and what did we talk about Friday? What is the most two lucrative businesses in the history of mankind? War and illness. And here we are again. It's just a Josh and I, the word I'll use is kind of weird. Americans have historically looked at Israel as a sacred place in the world. We've never looked at Ukraine 
as a sacred place. That's a heavy word. I mean, if you really start contemplating, uh, we, we, we historically, I mean, I was raised to believe something different about Israel. I mean, this relationship with it, we, we, we may blow it with Ukraine. We may screw it up with Germany. We may not get it right with Italy, but we can't. What we can't, I mean, there's a sacred nature to the relationship America's had with uh, with Israel. What Josh is basically saying, well, there shouldn't be. I mean, there shouldn't be. If we're going to reset our foreign policy and we're going to be less interventionist and less involved, why should Israel be any different than some of the other countries we're talking about? Let's go to the phone. Mike in Darlington, good morning. Uh, good morning. I, I think Josh took a kind of an elitist view there, like, oh, we're above all this. I, I don't agree with that at all because uh, there's always the danger of this getting escalated to the point. If they can't do it with conventional weapons, they do it with uh, nuclear weapons. And I think uh, there's a number of people that can procure nuclear weapons in that area. So that's a very dangerous uh, situation. And I don't like our carriers sitting off the coast of Israel because it makes them vulnerable. That is just uh, not a – that's not a smart military idea. If we lose a carrier, I, I blame the, the bad, bad, bad strategists that don't understand that these people basically don't give a rip. And uh, that's that's all I've got to say about it. But this is a dangerous – uh, situation, any way you look at it, and if you take the apocalypse. But Mike, what's going to stop it from being dangerous? How can America stop that situation from being volatile and dangerous? Well, we could have shut down the the shipment of those uh, all those rockets. I mean, that's a, a there's supposed to be a, a type of embargo there. But uh, we didn't shut down. We we let, left the gates wide open for them to ship rockets in, uh, huge rockets, to uh, attack and overwhelm uh, Israel's Iron Dome. That was uh, that that was a bad mistake. I think this is another war that could have been prevented. It could have been prevented with a little bit of strength and foresight. But uh, these people don't realize how dangerous the world can be and will be for some time to come, uh, probably until Jesus appears and uh, straightens everything out. Uh, I don't know uh, when that will be, but it may be sooner than later. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937 is our number. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Rick and Sumter listening to WDXY. Good morning, Rick. Hey, good morning. Good morning, sir. Um, listen, I'm interested in this topic. You know, I keep hearing, though, how the United States is historically so tied to Israel. Israel's a relatively new nation. It was started after World War II as a homeland for the Jews. 48, I think, right, Rick? Is it 48? Sir? 
Jerusalem is sacred to all three monotheistic religions, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. And, you know, when you set up a theocracy with one in charge, you're kind of asking for problems. Where should the Jews, what, what, I mean, if we had it to do over again, Rick, I mean, obviously the Jews had been persecuted. Nobody denies that. I mean, the Holocaust was real. Nobody, well, I mean, some people deny that craziness, but not me. Um, and I don't think you do. But what should, what could we have done better post-Second World War in dealing with um, whether or not to have a Jewish state? Well, the Jewish state idea, you know, it is a religious theocracy. You know, that is one thing the U.S. has really never supported, except for in this case. I think we could have left Jerusalem as an open city because it is sacred to all three religions. And then recently, when Jerusalem was named the capital of the Jewish state, that was a big thorn in the side, especially to the Muslims who live in that area. That sparked a whole lot of problems politically. And now it's manifesting itself militarily. Would you... I'm sorry, continue. No, go ahead. No, when when Josh makes this, and I think it's interesting, I mean, I'm... I'm trying to stimulate a debate. I don't know the answer to this, obviously. But when Josh says, I just don't understand why America has been so much more intensely supportive of Israel than they have some of these other trouble spots around the nation, is the word sacred fair? I mean, Rev said during the break, we, we don't call Kiev the Holy Land. You know, we do refer to um, Jerusalem as the Holy Land. It is the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the beginning of the Christian faith. I mean, do, do you buy into that sacredness of the relationship? Well, I do, but how would we react if Israel said this is the capital of the Jewish state, so we're going to shut down all these Christian shrines and Christians are not welcome here? We wouldn't like it very much, would we? Not at all. And that has happened, you know, in other cases. So I see it is more of a political move that has been shrouded in religion in a lot of ways. Okay, let me ask you this. You're, you're somewhat of an historian, and I've read enough of this to be dangerous. How do you find any peace when the Jewish people called Israel home and Hamas and Hezbollah um, populate, to some degree, Gaza and the West Bank? I mean, it, it, to me, peace is unrealistic when, when you have that much contention and in a part of the world. Well, I agree, and it was very convenient for us to have the Jewish state with a special relationship right in the middle of a big Islamic stronghold. It became even more advantageous to us to have Israel there when oil, you know, was discovered, and it became so important politically and economically. And that is, you know, we can say it's because of religion, but it's very nice to have a non Islamic stronghold right there in the Middle East that can, you know, pretty much send fighter, they don't mind sending fighter jets off to do the dirty work when it's needed to be done. But I think, you know, to me, the answer would have been don't give the city of Jerusalem to the Jewish state. Make that some kind of an open city. Um, I don't know what to do with the Palestinians who also claim to have you know, territorial rights there. We just kind of uprooted them and shipped them off, and nobody particularly likes that. 
will explain. Thank you, Rick. It's a complicated matter. I mean, it's far, and I'll tell you, it's one of these situations. The more you try to understand, the more confused you become. It's a little bit like the Fed. You know, if you don't know much about the Fed, you think you know a lot about the Fed. And when you start really trying to understand the Fed, you realize, wow, this thing's a lot more complicated than I ever imagined. I like the way it was. I like when I didn't know much and thought I knew a great deal. Yeah, and I want to say something because I've heard this, you know, since I first spoke, brought up a lot. The Christian religious aspect of this war and, you know, the Holy Land and whatnot. And uh, I believe this is an interesting and necessary debate to have amongst Christians. I I told you uh, a couple breaks ago. I'm not convinced that when Jesus says, you know, bless Israel and you will be blessed, I don't think he's talking about the nation state established in 1948. I think he's talking about the believers, the the, the bearers of the new covenant. And, uh, and we, you know, that can be debated. I don't have scripture in front of me, you know, or off the top of my head to back that up right now. But I, I would ask my fellow Christians— uh, to, to, you know, be wary and open-minded because I could be wrong, but, um, I, I see a lot of conviction where people are so firm in their beliefs. I mean, and, you know, just a couple months ago, the leader of Israel, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, he tried to ban Christianity in Israel. And I've seen videos on Twitter and whatnot of, uh, Jewish people spitting on Christians visiting the Holy Land. And, you know, I don't know if, uh, but, but okay, but yeah. at the end of the day, I mean, is the debate, Rev, jump in, Rev, I mean, is, is the debate, it, it's really not America's business. I mean, it That's really and I truly said. is not. I mean, a, a lot of Americans have perceived, and, and I mean the Republican Party in general, the neocons that have run our party for 40, well, ever since the end of the Second World War, it's hard to argue that they've not had, you know, the military-industrial complex and the neoconservatives have pretty much shaped foreign policy and, and American diplomacy all of my adult life without question, all of my adult life. Um, but but some have tried to use Israel as a military outpost to make sure the free flow of oil stays In other words, providing the energy for the Western world. A yeah. convenient political yeah, alliance. I mean, I, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I do believe this. I think Josh is, is, that, is a, I, I think Josh is precisely correct in saying, I don't know. I don't understand the nuances of the sacred relationship, how biblical, how non-biblical, your interpretation of the Bible, your interpretation of the Jewish state, who should have got what, what Jerusalem should have been or not been. Those are very interesting debates. But I believe counter to that has been an effort by the neocons and, and the military industrial complex to treat Israel as kind of the 51st state. It's a military outpost in the middle of a very oil-rich part of the world, and we know how important energy and oil exploration and the Strait of Hormuz and all these other um, sorts of places are. And, and and here's where it gets real concerning. There's nobody on that. There's nobody who gives an opinion to a large enough audience that matters that it motivated by something other than the truth. The, the American Foreign Policy Council. Well, I mean, they're, they're all about neoconservatism. That's who foots their bill. That's who keeps them employed. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a very, very complicated. And, Josh, the smartest thing you said was, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. The, the, the question I would pose is, what should America be responsible for? And, 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 and I think Josh made an interesting point. Why are we more passive and less intense about Ukraine 
but we're so passionate. In other words, and I catch myself doing this, you know, um, let Ukraine and Russia hash out that border dispute the best way they know how. Or that war. I mean, in all honesty, it's a war. Let, let's not do what DeSantis did and call it a border dispute. It's a war. But, but it's a war that I don't think America should try and decide. I just don't. I'm sorry. That's the way I feel. Do I feel the same way about Israel? No. Why? I think I've been conditioned to feel differently about it. It's sacred. It's the holy land. It's the beginning of the faith that I ascribe to. But, but it's complicated. It's extremely complicated. And I think there have been decades of neoconservatism that has hid behind the guise of, you know, Scripture. And I'll bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you because you're, you know, special in my sight. I mean, I'm the, yeah, I mean, I, I do think there's been a manipulation, a dramatic manipulation. I think a lot of neocons have looked at Israel as a military outpost. We provide weaponry. Um, they police that region the best way they know in the name of Western culture, Judeo-Christian values. How many times have we heard? Have we? It's just kind of an interesting and perplexing dynamic, but, but it's one that I'm not sure many Americans believe now as passionately as they did that we should do X, Y, or Z. I just don't. I mean, I, I sense, and I, and I could be wrong here. I mean, I read Twitter, and, you know, that, that's a kind of a, the public town hall. Uh, very few experts, but everybody has an opinion, but, but the opinions I read are, I'm not as enthusiastic in getting involved in this as we've historically been. I think that's where America is. And I think the realists in America understand how weakened we are and how non-dominant we are. We're not who we were guys that, you know, whether we wanted the responsibility of policing the world or not, we accepted the burden. And I think we did a, a, a better than adequate job. I just don't think we can do that now. I think we've diluted our resources. Look at our balance sheet. Look at the debt. Look, look at a lot of problems we have internally and, and at home. I, I just don't think we have, you know, the husband to, to, to go out and save the world. I'm sorry. Take a break. Back in a few. 843 If it weren't for Twitter, and I mean this sincerely, we would probably never see these pro-Palestinian, uh, pro-Hamas celebrations in America. I mean, in, in, in about six or eight different American cities, there have been rallies supporting Hamas, supporting the invasion into Israel in America. And I think you've got to be absurdly stupid and naive to not believe that everybody coming across the southern border was not coming to put out pine straw and pick strawberries. I can assure you of that. There are sleeper sales. We've been infiltrated. Um, it's been an invasion. Many are coming to work. There's no doubt about it. Many are coming to try and make a better way of life. I still think the American government has a responsibility to secure the border and offer legal ways to enter our country. But, but uh, you know, in American cities today, there are going to be pro-Palestinian crowds supporting Hamas's invasion of Israel mm. in the good old U.S. of A. Let's go to the phone. That's disturbing to me. Uh, Stephen in Hartsville. Good morning, Stephen. Hey, how are you? I've just been listening, and uh, the one thing that kind of, I, I think a lot of people can't see the forest through the trees, and you look back two months ago, we gave Iran $2 billion or $6 billion for hostages. Now, we gave that to a U.N. country that has been supporting terrorists attacking another U.N. country. Just that on the surface is bad. 
on top of that, we've been supporting another country that's not a part of the UN that's being attacked by a country that is part of the UN. And you kind of look at all this and you just go, where is the UN in all this? And I just kind of think we're justifying Israel's attack on religion. Both of them are UN countries. Why aren't we going against Iran and trying to sanction them and everybody on board in the UN for what they've been doing? And anybody that thinks that $6 billion to have anything to do with terrorism is just fooling themselves. That's pretty much all I had to say. Thank you. Yeah, uh, several. I mean, we know now, Wall Street Journal's reporting now that while the American government was negotiating with you, excuse me, with um, Iran for the hostage release and $6 billion, Iran was, I mean, I think they've got a regimental guard. It's one of their elite fighting forces. They were coordinating with Hamas some of the plan to attack um, Israel from the Gaza Strip. Let's go to the phone. John in Florence. Good morning, John. You're on. Morning, gentlemen. Um, I agree this is uh, a complex issue, and and, uh, I I go back to the one thing I, I hold to be true, and that's the Bible. And if you want to read up on Israel something, y'all probably know this. Just uh, take a look at Ezekiel 37, 38. And, you know, this, the country of, of Israel gathering together, or in the Bible as it calls the gathering of the dry bones, um, you know, that's all, it was all prophecy. And there's also further prophecy about Israel being attacked from the north and that God will deliver them in a way that the world cannot explain. The only, the only answer was something not man-made delivers Israel. Um, so I'm going to stand on that because, in, in my humble opinion, if you stand against Israel, you stand against God. That's not where I want to be standing. Y'all have a good day. Thank you. See, and I, I don't think anybody's arguing supporting Hamas. I mean, I, I've not heard anybody say that Israel got what they deserved. The The conversation that I think Josh are trying to have is to what extent are we willing to support Israel? I mean, I, I'm on the record. I am heartbroken by what's happened in Ukraine, but there is no way I would ever, ever, ever send another dollar or American soldier there, period. End of discussion. I mean, there's not a great debate to be had about that. You come to Israel, and it gets more complicated. Why? Because there is a a certain sacredness or sacred nature about the relationship. I mean, a guy just quoted the Bible, Ezekiel, the Old Testament. I mean, there 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 are a lot of people out there who say, "Man, I mean, this Israel is different than Ukraine because the Jews aren't the chosen ones." And my interpretation of Scripture and my belief in the Bible, I understand that. I believe in the Bible. I, I believe in the in the story of Christ. I believe in uh, Judeo-Christian values. I still don't want Americans dying in Tel Aviv. I just don't. I mean, that's the way I feel. I'm sorry. I mean, you, to me, you got to draw a line of the sand and stand for something. And I am officially a non-interventionist. I'm sorry. I mean, my heart breaks for the people in Ukraine. My heart breaks for the people in Russia. My heart breaks for the people in uh, that they're good and decent Palestinians. I got to believe they're good and decent, you know, Iranians. I got to believe. Uh, well, I don't have to believe. I'm sure there are. I'm going to say that the Iranians and the Palestinians, I mean, do you not believe there are Iranians who love their family and want to treat uh, people in the most humane way? Of course there are. Palestinians, no different. Jews, no different. My my point is that I just, it's such a complicated matter. I don't know how you resolve it. 
And and if and if I don't know how to resolve it, then what is our game plan for getting in? I mean, do, you, do we kill every Muslim in the world? I mean, I, I got friends who believe that. I got friends who would who would kind of um. They would whisper it, but they they'd say the only answer to this: kill every Muslim in the world. I mean, these aren't crazy people. These are sane, reasonable people. I mean, that sounds unreasonable. That sounds insane when you say kill all the Muslims. But I've got friends in my world who believe the only way to find peace and harmony is to kill all the Muslims. Uh, I, I, I'm not there by any stretch of the kill all the, uh, the terrorists. Kill every person who's ever been associated with Hamas or, or Hezbollah. I mean, that's Iran-sanctioned um, terrorism. We know where the money comes from. We know where the, the, the organizational structure comes from, the Iranian government. But, but I, I just don't know that American blood is worth trying to settle a dispute between Iran and, 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 and Israel when w- what is the plan? What, what is the plan moving forward? I, I, it, we seem to never have one. Let's go to the phone. Sim in Hartsville. Good morning. Good morning, bud. Good morning. How y'all doing today? Good, good. How y'all doing today? Good. That's good. I'm going to cut on a couple of bases real quick for you here. Uh, and then you can just tell me a little bit about what you think about it. Um, I listen to you guys just about every morning. Uh, I want to let you know I support you guys. I appreciate the things I learn and listen. I observe what y'all talk about on a daily uh, you know, and a lot of things that I, I think we should do as an American, I think we should should grab ourselves up, you know, take care of business when business needs to be taken care of, you know. And then, you know, you got people like myself that has lost a job in the past, you know, that goes to work and, and, and takes an $18 cut. How am I supposed to survive off of that, you know? And then on top of that, you know, you go to, you know, uh, Israel, and you think about what's going on there. I mean, I, we need to, to back up who we say we're supposed to back up a hundred percent. And I mean, it's just, it's just getting, it's just going to get so bad. And I know a lot of people don't believe this. Me and my wife was talking last night and the, the Bible is prophesying itself daily. And I'm going to be honest with you, man, it's, it's going to open everybody's eyes up here pretty soon, but there, there's some stuff that needs to be done as soon as possible. Thank you. Appreciate that. Eight, four, three, Six six one zero nine three seven. Someone else on the phone. Let's go there. Sam in Darlington. Good morning, Sam. You're on. Morning, morning. I I want to throw in a kind of dissident opinion here. Um, I think that over the last several decades, uh, ever since uh, Israel won the war in their war in '67, um, it has and and basically took over land that had been. Palestinian land, or, or at least held in Jordan for the Palestinians, so it was. Uh, they conquered it, and they they have it by right of conquest. Uh, they conquered the whole thing, you know, Gaza, the West Bank. Um, but what they've what they've done, it, it seems analogous to the way America treated the Indians back in the. 1800s you know we had conquered them and um you know and and fair and square i guess depending on what you mean by fair but uh and we put them on reservations and uh moved them around where we needed to do put them on reservations and and uh you know basically kind of locked them down there and every now and then they would there'd be a 
kind of a prison break, you know, and then to get off the reservation. And so that's the kind of thing that's going on. I certainly, it seems to me, Gaza has been an outdoor prison for for decades, uh, especially since the, I guess it was the mid-90s or something, or late 90s, when uh, when they the, the Israelis just had them in, you know, it, it's a blockade. They can let some things through, you know, but uh, but basically it, nothing comes through that the Israeli government doesn't want to come through. Yeah. 843-661-0937, take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. We've talked extensively this morning trying to better understand, explain, make heads or tails of what's happening uh, in Israel. Fox News Radio's Jonathan Savage is in London. He's with us this morning. Hundreds of Israelis have been killed in these Hamas attacks over the weekend. Israel has declared a state of war. Um, Jonathan, good morning. And what can you tell us uh, the latest from Israel? Yeah, good morning. Um, at the moment, the uh, Israeli soldiers, the Israeli military are still trying to clear Hamas fighters from southern Israel. We understand there are seven or eight pockets fighting. Um, in the meantime, there's plenty of attacks on targets in Gaza from above. We understand around a thousand targets have been hit. Um, this, of course, is what Israel described as a mighty vengeance for this unprecedented and devastating attack, which has led to the deaths of at least 700 people in Israel, uh, some in communities, kibbutzes, 260 people killed at a music festival, and Palestinian groups claim to have taken 130 hostages. Uh, Palestinian groups also say that at least 500 people have now been killed in Gaza as a result of Israeli airstrikes. Jonathan, do we know, I mean, it's all speculation, do we know any more now about the timing? Why now? Why such a brutal and broad attack now? That is a question which people are, are asking right across the world, I think. It took the Israeli uh, government, the Israeli intelligence community, even by complete surprise, it's being seen as a major intelligence failing because this was a very, very thoroughly planned attack that involved hundreds and hundreds of people. Now, for months, clearly tension has been rising between Israel and armed Palestinian groups. There have been nightly raids from Israel to refugee camps and, and, and targets in the West Bank. But that's quite far from Gaza. That's the other conflict zone uh, between Israel and Palestinians. So the fact that this came from Gaza at this time is a total shock. It is one day past the 50th anniversary of another surprise attack on Israel, which began what was known as the Yom Kippur War. Very well explained. Jonathan, thank, thank you for your time. Have a great day, sir. Thank you. You too. It's kind of an interesting dilemma, dynamic. Um, the majority of what we're doing, remember in the song Alan Jackson saying, you know, I'm a simple man. Basically, I don't know the difference in Iraq and Iran. Uh, what was it? Well, the world stopped turning. When he says, you know, I, I'm not sure I can tell you the difference in Iraq and Iran. I think the majority of people listening, the majority, not all, but the majority have heard of Hamas, Hezbollah, Gaza, the the West Bank, um, obviously Israel. But but I think that's where it kind of ends. I, I'm offering a theory, and, and I think Josh agrees with me here because um, I've seen him nod his head a couple of times. We live in, I mean, we, we've had a lot of shows recently about the Second World War. 
and we've lived. I've lived every moment of my life in the Second World War world. Um, I probably had more opportunity than any generation of human beings have ever had by Americans winning or the Americans being being a part of winning the Second American uh, the Second World War. And America made the rules. And, I mean, I think we're, see, that's where I think people go, okay, I understand uh, Bretton Woods. I think most Americans, I don't have a clue what that is. What, what Bretton Woods? I mean, why the United Nations in New York? I don't know. I don't have any idea. I mean, I know a little, I know where Iraq, I've heard of Iraq and Iran. I can't find them on a map, is what Alan Jackson said. So, I think the majority of people have heard of that. But but I think when you kind of say, okay, but the the theory that I'm offering up is, you know, there's always been, I don't want to say a fear, but there's always been a respect that anybody had of the United States. Um, if you were Hamas, you always calculated what American response was going to be. If you were Hezbollah, you always, I mean, you hate the Jews. You want every Jew dead. You said it. I mean, the Iranians have said, I mean, the, 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 their, their political leadership have said that, that I mean, they're pro-genocide. I mean, let, let's be very candid. The Iranian government is pro-genocide. Hezbollah and Hamas are pro-genocide. I'm not defending everything Israel has ever done. I think Sam made some very interesting points. I think Rick made some very interesting points. No nation is without flaw. I mean, Israel's done some things that, I mean, America's done some things that, that we shouldn't have done, and we probably could have done a lot better in displacing people and treating people certain ways. But But nobody did anything militarily or... Or, or intervention related that you didn't consider what the American response was going to be. You got to believe that. I mean, if we built the Second World War, the post Second World War world, I mean, we're kind of its custodians as well. So when Hamas or Hezbollah think about doing something, or Al Qaeda or the Taliban or any of these other, you know, fanatical Islamic extremist terrorist organizations, they always wondered what America would do. And, and I think when when you have that that street cred, when you are able to dictate terms and conditions around the world, people fear you. People don't want, I mean, I, I don't know if we need to do that, man, because America, you know, I mean, they, they've got this military and they've got this. Certainly this think race. twice before sure, you try something. You, you better believe it. And I think that the world, more than we, sees a, a nation in decline. It, it, it's outrageous for me to believe that Putin and Xi don't talk to one another and in one of their private moments say, can you believe America elected I mean, the guy they elected? I mean, can you believe that they're spending a trillion dollars, two trillion dollars a year? I mean, that, I doubt they go into M2 money supply like we did last week. But I think that's it's going to lead to a very chaotic world, I predict. There, there's, not to go, there's not going to be a stabilizing force. And you've got China. And what does China want to be? A team player? I mean, China wants to be the preeminent superpower the on the planet. Sure. So you're going to you're going to see uh, a chaotic world, a, a world that dis, a world that does not respect American dominance and superiority as much as it historically has. And and you're going to see Hamas and Hezbollah say, you know, not only is America weaker than they've ever been, there are people in America that don't particularly care for it policing the world. And and my my. My reason for not believing that America should be the world's police is I don't think we can. 
I don't think we have the capacity or capability. If we weren't $33 trillion in debt, I may have a different opinion. I may be more of an interventionist than I am today. I mean, I may understand, okay, um, wh- what is our debt? Zero? And Social Security, 68, 69, 70? Okay. I mean, let's think about these dominoes that fall and how that affects the American way of life and the world in general. But I think we're desperate. I think we're a nation desperate. And, and I think we've, we, we've made reckless and careless and, and irresponsible decisions. I don't think we've effectively or efficiently governed our country's affairs. And here we are. And, and I think the world sees it more than we do. We, we have this arrogance, and it's confounding to me. We have this belief that we're entitled. We're entitled to be dominant in the world. We're not entitled to a damn thing. I mean, I can assure you of that. I mean, there have been dynasties come and go. There have been superpowers come and go. I mean, there have been empires come and go. The one sure thing about an empire doesn't last forever. The one sure thing about a dynasty, it, it, it dies on the vine one day. Uh, the preeminent superpower on the, in, in the world today will not be the preeminent superpower in the world 100, 200, 300 years from now. I mean, that, that, is, I mean, that, that is indisputable. That is going to happen. And I think our arrogance, we, you know, we, we can honestly begin having debates about what pronoun you identify as. Forget $33 trillion in debt. The important, the important matter before the American people is what pronoun, pronoun do you identify as? And, and you don't believe that the leaders of Hamas and Hezbollah and China and Russia look around and say, wow, I mean, they had a historic run and, and they, they dominated, you know, um, political and economic discourse before, you know, since the 1940s. But, but that's not the way it's going to be now. So, so, so my point about Israel and Hamas and Hezbollah is not that I, you know, defend what Hamas did. I certainly don't. And, and I would love to, you know, defend Israel probably more than we can. I just look at our not-so-abundant resources. And, and I do believe that part of Hamas's strategy was, hey, America is weak. And America's not sure it can provide Ukraine with enough fighting um, fighting armaments and military equipment. Remember, uh, we talked about how many bullets they need in Ukraine to win, and we can't build that many bullets today? Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Susan in Florence. Good morning. You're on the air. Hi. I'll start out with that I am Jewish, I live in Florence, and I bleed red so desperately. So I am coming from the conservative Republican point of view. That veggie that walks the halls of of the White House took 12 hours from the time he knew about that Israel was attacked to the time he finally got onto television to address the nation is appalling. Also, he had a barbecue party going on at the White House for his staff. So he really needed to get back there. So that's, that's the first thing. The second thing is that if we don't put boots on the ground in Israel with, with our military, Iran and the terrorist groups who have now declared death to America, not only death to Israel, but death to America, when Israel takes over and wins this, don't think for a moment that these terrorists are not going to infiltrate into America and we are not going to be prepared. We could nip this in the bud tomorrow. We can take care of the problem so that the Americans here are safe. Israel will take care of itself. That's not a problem. But when 
these terrorists go into Israel and haul women, children, and men out of their houses and execute them on the street. Don't think that 9-11 will not happen again here. And I know everybody's with in in Florence, South Carolina, is talking about all of this biblical stuff. We need to look at that today and not have an, a reoccurrence of 9-11 here because we can't take care of ourselves because that walking vegetable in the, in the White House turns his back and will not address the huge problem that we are going to have. And defeating them, defeating these terrorists, should be the most important thing right now. He should have canceled that barbecue Friday, uh, Saturday. He should have said, I have better things to do. I need to take care of the Americans. Thank you. Appreciate, appreciate that and call. 843-661-0937, a Jewish lady living in Florence uh, from a conservative perspective. Let's go to the phone. Barry and Gerard. Good morning, Barry. You're on. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, uh, great call, that last call. Ma'am, what you need to understand is they want this to happen. I, I keep coming back to this, Ken. If, if the globalists need wars, they need wars. You're telling me our intel and Mossad did not know what was going on. Mossad knows everything that goes on inside Gaza, inside Hamas. They, they can tell you when cockroaches are moving in the fields, and they didn't see this coming. They, they, I mean, Iran had a meeting in Beirut. You, you think Mossad didn't know that Iran had a meeting? They track every flight coming out of Iran. They need conflicts. They need conflicts. What, what did, what did, uh, they had a uh, protest in Israel, I think it was last week, against uh, Netanyahu. Oh, all of a sudden, they have a conflict the week after. Same thing with here. We get the speaker out. Now all the talk is about Israel. It's look over here, and we're going to do this over here. Southern border, wide slap open. The lady just said it. They're going to attack inside the United States. Then what happens? Globalists will come in and save us. They will attack the Islamic states all over the world. They will say we need more surveillance. What would that surveillance be used on? That will be used on us. Hillary Clinton said it last week. We need to be deprogrammed as Trump supporters. So what would they use? They will use the surveillance on us, but it will justify by going after the Islamic State. Trump crushed ISIS in one year. Nobody, nobody talks about that. One year. He didn't prolong it. He crushed it. They don't want that. They need wars. Wars brings death. They get money. That's how it goes. It's a, it's a cycle. All of them work together. If, if, if you try to figure, figure the ins and outs, you, you'll figure this whole thing out. Y'all have a great day. Thank you, Barry. Appreciate it. I mean, I, I, I said it. I'll stand by my comments about war. I mean, I think, you know, war and illness are the most lucrative businesses on the planet. Buddy of mine sent me a text last week suggesting uh, that. I mean, I think, you know, people that have followed politics for a long time understand there's a financial gain and a motivation for uh, for going to war. I, I, I can't speculate here because I don't know. Um, the, the, the override, the macro point I'm trying to make is 
I think you can be as heartbroken as anybody and as interested as anybody and so supportive of Israel as anybody, but still believe that America has enough problems at home and we need to focus on home. That's where I am today. I, I mean, I care about Ukraine. I mean, you know, um, human tragedy upsets anybody that has somewhat of an ethical and moral compass. I just don't know what America can do to fix all these problems that we've invested so much in uh, around the world. Take a break. Back in a few. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. The interesting part of Twitter is there is dissent. I mean, you got Nikki Haley. I mean, this is a fight between good and evil. Always stand with the Jewish people. You can't destroy what God has blessed, and God has blessed Israel. I mean, that's the neocon playbook. That's Mike Pence. Um, you know, every Republican that has run for office for the past 30 years had to say that, whether they believed it or not, understood it or not. I mean, I, Nikki probably understands it better than most, having spent some time at the United Nations. I but, mean, Pence's comments were a little strange to me because he, he almost blamed it on Trump. Ramaswamy and DeSantis, his well, I mean, opponents in the primary. The, well, I mean, the fact that there's an, a non-interventionist element within uh, the GOP. And don't let folks call you an isolationist. You're not an isolationist. You're very interested in the world. You're very curious about the world. You understand America has, you know, some interaction and entanglement uh, with the rest of the world. But I just believe that moving forward, uh, we're going to be forced by the, the sheer debt we have to prioritize where our interests lie, and I am much more. I mean, look, I think all of us are, is humanistically a word, we're all humanistically affected or impacted by the visuals. I mean, he said some things you saw on Twitter oh, that, that are heartbreaking. I mean, they're horrific, and, and but, but, but you still got to be rational about it and say, look, that is the Ukrainian, excuse me, that is the Israeli border. That, that is an issue that is Israel and Iran um, or the primary players in this and characters and features of this, um, you know, this disagreement that's old. I mean, it didn't start this weekend. And, and, but, but then you got Ukraine and Russia and Crimea and Georgia. I mean, what, you know, where, what goes where? I don't know. I mean, I don't know what Russia deserves to have and what Ukraine deserves um, to have. I don't know what, uh, I mean, when you look at, I, I guess when you look at the Palestinian Israeli or Jewish, situation it could be terrorism and occupation i mean the palestines would argue that the territory the jews occupy does not rightfully belong to them the jews say of course it does and you know and then uh terrorism in response and that's why we're monitoring and not allowing people into our into our nation i i just think we've gotten to a place where we've so diminished our resources and our abilities that that in the name of good government we've got to prioritize our border our people, our way of life. We care what happens in Ukraine. We care what happens in Russia. We care what happens in the Gaza Strip. Well, excuse, yeah, the Gaza in um, the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. We care about all those places around the world, but we're not likely to get involved. We're just simply not. Now, I mean, I, I can hear some of the neo. Well, you know what the world would look like then? No, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. You don't either. I mean, if if America vacates its role as the world's police. What does the world look like? I don't know. I don't have any idea. I think a lot of the actions by some of these foreign actors are because they believe America has diminished itself. And, and you know, somebody texted me a second ago. So you really believe that the, the, the pronoun debate has something to do with, well, of course I do. Absolutely. I mean, I think when America appears to be silly 
and 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 a little bit off kilter. The, the the world acts and behaves a very different sort of way. And and if look, if our books were balanced, and and our financial house was in order, I, I think America has a very appropriate role to play in 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 negotiating and helping navigate some of these situations. I do believe that to which much is blessed, much is expected. I mean, I'll buy into that for for you know, I mean that's scriptural and. I think it's a way of life for America, but, but we've been irresponsible. We've been ineffective. We've been inefficient. We've got a lot of problems internally that I think we must address. And, and I think the, the involvement of America in Israel and Gaza, the involvement of America in Ukraine and Russia are expensive. And right now, I just don't think we have the money to do the things that I know neocons would love us to do in some of these hot spots around the world. But, but I think the bottom line says just, you know, you, you can't, we, we don't have the financial ability. Let's go to the phone. Jim in Florence morning. You are on the air. Hey, good morning guys. And I, I hope I'll sum this up in, in a way that I, my mind has it playing out, but Ken, uh, to go off what you're just saying is completely agree with you that we, you know, maybe if we had the, um, financial uh, soundness we could go with this but isn't it in a sense that our financial disorder our 33 dollars or 33 trillion dollars in debt um, our need to keep uh, the reserve currency um, isn't that going to actually further drive our government into needing to uh, precipitate these wars and get involved in these wars Um, i agree that we can't get involved because financially it, we can't. But it's almost like the finance and the uh, is going to drive us further into these things. Thank you, Jim. I say kind of, kind of. I mean, I thought of that. You know, um, it's almost like the financial desperation leads us down the road to be more interventionist than we ever have been before because war's lucrative, right? I mean, and and you know, countries borrow money and they borrow in and. And, and, you know, the majority of people who borrow money, they kind of like American debt. I mean, they just do. They, they you know, uh, I, I just, I, I, and look, I, I don't know that there's a precedent here. I mean, I'm not arguing that I have all the answers, you know, that, that I'm chair of a think tank that, you know, the, the American conservative, the modern American, the new right, the, the, uh, the America firsters, the national conservatives. I mean, you call it whatever you'd like to call it. There's just been a change of the mindset of the Republican voter. And there's not been a change set of the hierarchy. There's not been a change set. I had someone with the RNC send me a text over the weekend. Um, I mean, they, they kind of blame people like me for not having a speaker. I mean, they do. They, they kind of, you know, people like you are the reason that, you know, really? somebody pulled the fire alarm and there's craziness going on in the Republican Party. People like you want to burn it down and you, you don't have a plan to build it back. I get that. I mean, that's fair criticism. And I'm one of those. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I'm one that wants to burn it down. And I think burning it down causes chaos and controversy and, and confusion. And in moments like this, we probably don't have an orderly way uh, to respond. But I'm willing to take that chance. I mean, I'm absolutely willing to take that chance. And I'm willing to let the world sort out its own problems. I mean, Republicans historically have been trained and conditioned to not believe that. No, we sort out the world's problems for them. I am willing to let the world sort out its own problems. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Josh, 
is the debate I'm trying to make or is the argument I'm trying to make resonate? In other words, it doesn't matter what I think about Israel. It doesn't matter what I think about Ukraine. It's almost like I go to the uh, to the Ferrari dealership with a Toyota checkbook. I mean, I, I just think we've got to accept that as real now. I mean, it doesn't matter. It doesn't. It doesn't lessen my intense love for human beings in Ukraine. I mean, he, God, God loves human beings everywhere. I mean, God's not exclusive. You know, I love the Americans first. I love the Israelis second. I love the Ukrainians more than I do the Russians. No, I, I mean, I think the the I don't know the the subconsciousness. Uh, of this is is what I find troubling. In other words, we by any means I've, I don't know how many elected officials I saw over the weekend. Whatever it takes. Well, what is that? I mean, what is that? But whatever it takes. What does that mean? It's the same thing. I mean, we we regurgitated that in Ukraine. I was going to say they yeah. said that about whatever Ukraine. it takes. Well, I mean, what does that mean? What what a trillion dollars, two trillion, three trillion, four trillion, five trillion? Uh, you know, a, a thousand American men and women, ten thousand American men. It's irresponsible. But that's kind of been our, our modus operandi. That's been the way we've responded. And the point I'm making, and I'm not sure, I'm a little bit like Jim. I know I can see it. I just don't know that I'm saying it. The point I'm trying to make is the Putins of the world, let's say the bad actors. Let's say the Putins of the world. And I, I think Putin's a bad actor. I'm not sure Zelensky's a good actor. But I, mean, I, I think, you know, we don't know enough about Zelensky to say yay or nay. I mean, I know enough about Putin and Xi to say they're not in America's best interest. I mean, Vladimir Putin will never do anything intentionally to aid or assist America. Xi will never do anything to aid or assist America unless he just gets caught in a, in a quagmire and has to do something that we, you know, um, in, in a roundabout on the periphery we benefit from. Hamas. I mean, Hamas doesn't wake up every day thinking about the betterment of America. Hezbollah. Fanatical Islam. Uh, the West Bank, the Gaza Strip. I mean, all these are, are forces that, that are, that, I mean, they, they're prevalent. They've been there. They're going to be there. They're going to exist. we got to deal with it. The, the thing I'm trying to argue is it doesn't matter what our opinion is. Well, it does matter. But, but our opinion of Hamas or Hezbollah or Putin or Xi are going to be have to, they're going to be forced to be tempered with what is our abilities now. I mean, we, we've constrained ourselves. It doesn't matter what Josh wants to do or what Rev wants to do or what I want to do. These excursions and interventions are expensive, and we don't have the money. We just don't have the money. And it's hard to, for, for me to believe that there's not a faction of Americans that that doesn't resonate with, what we, by any means necessary, whatever it takes. I mean, those are reckless, careless statements to make. I mean, when you really break it down, um, the, the, um, the controversy in Ukraine, the war in Ukraine, when, when an American diplomat or elected official says whatever it takes, I mean, that's, that's careless. That's dangerously careless. Same thing in Israel, whatever it takes. Um, you know, somebody said this morning, you know, uh, I think the, the Jewish lady who called in said, we need to put boots on the ground. I just disagree. I've never disagreed more than I disagree today. There, there is no reason for America to die in Ukraine. There's no reason for America to die in Israel. We can debate on, okay, what should we do? What, what can we do? I think that's the fair question. What can we do? What are we able to do? Now, there are reports that some of the victims from this past weekend's attack 
we're American and there's possibly American hostages. And, and we need to consider that. We absolutely need to consider that. But, but these are wars. I mean, Netanyahu said it's a war. Putin and Zelensky both agree they're in a war. And we're going to intervene in the affairs of other countries' wars? Unsolicited? I mean, have we been provoked? I mean, I guess 9-11, 22 years ago, was a, a provocation and led us to believe that fanatical Islam, you know, was dangerous. Um, here, here's, a, here's an interesting hypothetical. You ready? Um, of all the millions of people who have made their way over the southern border, we don't know who they are. Uh, Biden says the border is secure. We know better. You know better. I know better. All of our listeners know better. Um, you know, there's this innocence to migration or immigration. They're just coming to pick our strawberries and put out our pine straw. I mean, we, we don't believe there are bad actors. We don't believe that leads to sleeper sales. We don't believe that leads to better organization. We don't believe that uh, leads to bomb attacks or some sort of attack on American civilians in our homeland. Certainly, they, they are smart and savvy enough to see that border I mean, and realize that's an opportunity. As evil as they are, they're smarter and savvier than we are. That's my concern. We've, we've, we've allowed incompetence to be normalized in our government. We've rewarded incompetence in our government. Look at the dunce who is the president. I mean, nobody considers him to be a serious man. No, no, no honest broker. I mean, if you're a, a sunshine pumper or a never trumper, I get it. He was the alternative, but nobody in their right mind believes this is a competent guy and somebody who should be in charge of the most powerful country on the planet. I mean, he's incompetent. And, and you look at the incompetence of immigration policing. You look at the incompetence of our, our fiscal restraint. I mean, it's just it's absurd. And, and, and the macro of all macros to me is as much as we'd like to do certain things, we're not able to because we've been so horribly governed for better than a generation. 843-661-0937 is our number. Do we have a call? Uh, we had two, and they both just dropped. Okay. I don't know if we've, our phone lines dropped or what, but they both went away just well, like that. We'd love to have you back in. Yep. Uh, in the fold, eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. What is a reasonable amount of time to get somebody on the air when they call in a talk show? Well, it depends on like how long they talk or yeah, how, long I mean, they no, no, how, how long should <laughs> how long someone they be have expected to wait? To wait? I mean, what what is too long? I mean, I'm not going to make somebody wait. I'm trying not to fifteen minutes. Now, in all honesty, we've had people wait. You know, ten seconds they sure. get right on, and then other times we have people on hold more than an hour. Yeah, and and I guess your degree of interest and and wanting to participate dictate, you know, what that is. But it's just uh, unless we had some sort of um, get in a dead area and the phone drops or right, whatever. Right. Now, now see, I, that, I was, that was interesting because we had, you know, two lines on hold ready to go, and they both dropped, similar as to when we have phone line issues like we did one day last week. Yeah. Well, somebody's ringing in now. Yeah. And if they'll we'll get them. Okay. I think we may have a phone issue because Josh said yep. they hung up again. Yep. Could be something. Yeah. That, well, anyway, uh, 843 <laughs> I don't want to go there. I, I'm having a good Monday. I'm having a Celsius free Monday. Um, I'm going to try to run me down some some Celsius because I miss it bad. 843-661-0937 is our number. I want to I get away from this. I mean, we, we've done three hours or nearly three hours of trying to address the issue, uh, what America should do, what America shouldn't do. I think the more interesting ar argument to have, America's in decline and how do we stop? America is in free fall. How do we stop that from being um, true a year from now, two years from now, three years, four years, five years? And that's not a partisan point. I mean, I'm not blaming the Democrats. I was going to ask you that question directly. 
um, because there's a lot of blame on Biden. First of all, the six billion to Iran, uh, the failed policy in Afghanistan, um, all these factors directly say some of this blood is on his hands. Would you go that far? Nah. I mean, Iran's got money, and they'll fund terrorists whether we give six billion dollars or not. I mean, they're political points to score here, and I get it. I mean, the Democrats would do the same thing if Trump gave Iran six billion bucks. And, and, you know, uh, Hamas or Hezbollah attacked Israel. The Democrats would say how irresponsible was Trump in giving. But, no, I mean, Iran, I mean, the Iranian government isn't waiting with bated breath $6 billion that we froze in some sort of hostage and prisoner negotiation. Iran has plenty of money to fund Hezbollah and, uh, and Hamas, and they're going to do it whether the $6 billion got unfrozen or not. But in the true spirit of American politics, when you get a chance to connect two dots, that are relatively close in time frame one to another, you do it. Now, I do buy this. I think it's absurd that Blinken goes on television and says, well, I mean, they've not, they, they, they promised they wouldn't use that money to do this. That money was only for humanitarian needs. Money's fungible. I mean, that money they had set aside to do X, they'll do Y, fund, um, you know, fund Hamas or fund Hezbollah. The money they had to do this, they'll do something else with. Now, that's an absurd argument that most people just don't. Don't believe in or buy in. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Josh, want to get your take on this. So I'm reading Twitter during the break. And, I mean, everybody's got an opinion. Everybody deserves to have an opinion. I'm cool with that. Uh, thank you, Elon, for allowing everybody to give their opinion without fear of censorship. Um, you know, the, the Republicans are holding up the nominee for ambassador to Israel. They're holding up 300 military officials. They don't even have a speaker. I mean, the House is stalled and can't do anything if they did indeed uh, want to do anything. If we had a speaker today, Josh, well, Josh just had to answer a call. Mm -hmm. Do we have a phone? Do we have a call? Mm -hmm. Let's go there now because I want to get Josh on the record because I think listening to people who've not been so influenced by neoconservatism as I have, as you have, is interesting. Josh is, uh, you know, he's in the, He's in the spring of a political life. I guess you and I would be well, in the fall a good point. of a political life. Yeah, as, as his age, he did not come up maybe believing some of the typical Republican values of neoconservatives. Well, I mean, you right? you and I were kind of, uh, I mean, there's an old saying in politics, you know, liberals fall in love, conservatives fall in line, and post-Reagan in particular, you know, peace, peace through strength and you know, the world is a dangerous place and America needs to be prominent. And, and, I, and I'll still buy into some of that. I mean, I think the world is better when a strong America is leading. What's the key word there? When a strong America is leading. America is not strong today, guys. I mean, we're diminished. And, and, and we've got to accept that and address that and deal with it and triage that or do whatever we got to do to repair our, 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 you know, our, the strengths that we had, a free economy and low taxes and not a lot of regulation and, you know, the, the principles of our founders, liberties and freedoms and the pursuit of a better way. We're not that any longer. I mean, maybe we are compared to Kiev and, and, and Moscow, but is that what we do? I mean, all of a sudden, is it, is it, um, okay, Washington fares, Washington's score on, prosperity is better than Beijing's and, and Moscow. I mean, is that our, is that our measurements now? 
is that our is that our threshold? I mean, is that what we is that where we go to decide whether we're being successful at not liberating, you know, the private sector and allowing democracy no, we should to, be setting the standard. Sure, we should. The American standard, but we aren't. So, so I want to say once again, I am for a strong America leading the world. America just isn't very strong today. And I'm one of the few that'll say it. The majority of people are still, it's either naive or arrogant. I mean, you're well, either. It you're, sounds and feels un, unpatriotic well, but, to but, say it. But, but, but to me, it's the most patriotic thing you can say. We've got serious problems. Let's either fix them or, or just, you know, dwindle off into another empire gone bad, another superpower gone bad, another, um, you know, another, uh, what, what am I trying to Empire, superpower, and dynasty that, that you know, uh, the chronicles of history will, will, will include this about America or that about America. We have a chance to dictate our fate in future. But it seems that some people don't want that. They, they want to diminish America. Am well, I, mean, I right? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, 58% of Americans that vote Democrat ascribe to the notions of socialism. I mean, there's nothing about our Constitution that endorses socialism. That's absurd. But, but once again, the majority of one of our political parties would rather socialism. Our economy adhered to the rules and regulations of socialism than it had uh, the free market. I mean, that, that's not some made up, I mean, that's not some radio show host on a Monday morning struggling to find content. I mean, there are multiple polls in America today that show the majority of Democrat primary voters ascribe to the values, premises, and projections of socialism over the free market. There's something, how are we going to lead the world? I mean, the greatest socialist nation in the world is America. Uh, and, and I do believe these. I mean, do, do I believe that, that what, what identify, what pronoun you identify as shapes the future and course of, of global history? No. But I think it shows the unseriousness of Americans. I mean, Biden, one of the, one of the great moments in American history recently, and I, and I still chuckle when I think about it, is when Biden was a candidate in 2020 and they asked him how many genders there were. And he said, at least three. And the look on his face was like, you thought I was going to say two, didn't you? You know, surprised you, didn't I? You know, at least three. And I'm like, you're a, I mean, wow, wow. Let's go to the phone. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Here's I mean, a- the, 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 and, and, and the glee, I mean, the, the, the look on his face, I mean, he's not a smart man anyway. And, and, and when he said, at least three, I mean, it was like, I passed the test, didn't I? Yeah. I mean, I didn't say two. I didn't say man and woman. I mean, I don't buy in all that biological nonsense, <laughs> all that chromosomal science. That makes nothing to me. At least three. And I don't know if there's five or six or eight or 10 or 12, but there's at least three. Will you vote for me now? I mean, that, that's kind of, I mean, it's, 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 it's silly what we're turning, what we're turning into and how we're normalizing some of these absurdities. Really, I mean, the, 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 the debt matters more than anything. I mean, it really does. I mean, our arrogance and hubris about our debt matters more than anything. But, but yes, it matters that we have these debates about pronouns. And, and we're, we're allowing a drag queen to be, you know, head of one division of the military. And we're talking about building fighter jet suits. I mean, the, the, the person that's trained to be a fighter pilot today uh, may want to get a, you know, a, a sex change and have breast implants. And we want to accommodate that person. I mean, that's that's nonsense. Let's go to the phone. Bobby in Hartsville. Good morning. Good morning. That response by Biden, that was just hilarious there. 
Um, but Ken, I want to answer your question about is America in decline. But first, I want to ask you a question. I know you're not a Dodgers fan, but do you agree with me that it's time for for Clayton Kershaw to go or either not be allowed to play in a playoff game ever again? We're getting there. <laughs> I mean, we're we're close to that. I mean, you he, would know he better messed it than up I. on Saturday. Well, I mean, he, for the well, I mean, he's been a really, really dominant pitcher for a long, long time. And he's just not anymore. He's just not. I mean, he's, he's not the Clayton Kershaw of the old days. But but the story in all of that, Bobby, to me is the Braves, Orioles, and Dodgers had phenomenal regular seasons, and they had to go to that rest. And, and they just shut down and didn't play any baseball for a period of time. And I just think they got to figure out a better way to reward the Dodgers, Braves, and Orioles for having such good regular seasons. And this is not the way to do it. Well, I do agree with that, but I believe that with the Braves, it may just be some something in their heads that causes them to do this after a rest because I, I just don't see any reason why that they keep struggling like that after a break. But um, anyway, to answer the question about, and my, this is just my opinion, about why America's in decline or is America in decline, to me, I would say what a difference a president makes because it wasn't too long ago I would say we were stronger than ever before. But, of course, the other side would say, no, we were weaker under Trump. Uh, I say we were stronger, and we need, to, we need that again. If we can get that, we're, we're back on track. Thank you. Appreciate that. Well, I mean, I hope it's that easy, but the debt doesn't go away. I mean, we talked last week about immigration. We can secure the border to, to, to a high degree if we choose to. We can... We can revamp education. I mean, we can revolutionize our edu- education industry or business if we choose to. We can deport some people sure. that are here I mean, illegally, you, right? I mean, you're, you're never going to have 100% success on immigration, 100% success on education, infrastructure. You can't unborrow the dollar that is already on the balance sheet. You just can't. And, and that is a monumental struggle. And, and, and maybe I'm consumed by that, having spent the majority of my life in business. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm more negative about our situation relating to the debt than I should be, but but I just I don't see anybody doing anything to address the you know the 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 thirty not just the thirty three trillion dollars of debt we've already accumulated, but the one trillion dollar deficit we run about every year is two trillion this year. I mean, it's just it, it, the the nonchalant nature of the debate Washington has regarding our debt is, is just, I mean, it's troubling to me. It's alarming. It's concerning. I worry a lot about our unwillingness to kind of dig into that and say, what do we need to do? How do we need to do it? And where do we need to do it? And I do believe this. I believe our financial situation will prohibit us at some point in time from leading in places like Israel and Ukraine, whether we want to or not. We just won't have the, you know, the money. To involve our, we won't have the money to fund the Defense Department uh, to the degree that that we historically have to allow us to kind of sort of police the world, whether you like policing the world or not. I don't like it. I've never liked policing the world, but but I have accepted that as part of the, I don't know, Rev, the um, the the the, the, the American exceptionalism, I guess, <laughs> to quote John McCain. Let's go to the phone. David in the PD. Good morning. I was going to say, what happened to Ken's Braves the other night, man? Um, Dave's Braves. <laughs> no, no. They were Ken's Braves the other night. Uh, 
Why did they change the lineup? For one thing, and then normally on Saturday nights they wear like the old school Braves outfit. Wait a minute, what what happened with that? I've not been able to watch a single Braves game since I gave up cable for streaming. When I became a subscriber to YouTube, I save a good bit of money, but I'm not I've not been able to watch a single. They Braves make it game. hard for Braves fans to watch those games so, that are on. So I'll defer to Rev uh, about what happened. <laughs> Um, well, they did change the lineup, and you're right. I didn't think about that. They didn't wear the, the throwback Hank Aaron uniforms, did they? Um, and it was on TBS as well. Yep. But, but anyway, i tell you what. Man, well, okay, I, 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 they, they couldn't hit. I know that. I, I'll level with you, David. I like the Braves. I love college football. So give me a chance to watch college football in the Braves. <laughs> I normally choose college football. Well, hey, look. I'm bringing this up because back in the day, uh, I, I loved the 1973 uh, Atlanta Braves, and they used to wear them uniforms. But we talk about these things. The media talks about, man, this Yom Kippur War. I remember that. I mean, I hate to say it. I'm old enough to remember that kind of stuff, man. And this is back in the day when you started talking about OPEC, I mean, embargo. I don't think anybody ever understood that back in the day. And I think about the dependence that we had on OPEC oil, and that really brought it to a a, a forefront. And these days, now we're relying on these folks for all this kind of stuff. And, Ken, um, you know, you had a, a Jewish lady that called in earlier. You know what? I hate to say this. I love her voice. Uh, I would like to know. I, I love Jewish people. You know why? Because their original recipe. I had a, a guy had a star David cross on. I mean, whatever you want to call it, on one time, and somebody was picking on him. I said, "Man, that's the original recipe." Muslims. Uh, I had a Muslim roommate. He was the nicest guy you ever want to meet. Uh, Iran. Uh, nice people. There was a girl on Sharon Road in Charlotte, North Carolina. That was a friend of mine, uh, but it's the regime that is corrupts everything. And I watched this. What's his name? Anthony Blinken. He can't be Anthony Blinken, but he went on all these shows and he goes, "There's difference between misinformed and the misinforming." And guess what? He's part of both of those, Ken. And it's sad. It's sad to watch this, but if you really, and I look at the digital world, if you really get out there and live life amongst people, guess what? We get along. Thank you. Thank you, David. 843-661-0937. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. Josh, the floor is yours. I know we got a caller, and we'll get there in two seconds, but Josh wanted to do opine and um, as you do in an American century, you ask the oldest American, right? So Josh said, it's a little bit like, Josh, just do it. Don't ask me if you can opine, opine. Okay. The floor right. is yours. Well, I want to say, because you. I'm not NATO. I don't tell everybody what to do. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, you, you wanted to know how I kind of felt growing up post this post neocon thing. And I'll say from what I've observed and, you know, I'm not perfect. I haven't been around too long. I I kind of think the sentiment is Russia is the boogeyman. 
and that like Israel's our greatest ally and we gotta we gotta police the entire planet. And you know, like I've said and kind of hinted out on the show, I don't agree with that. I don't really see a reason we can't be allies with Russia. I'm not I'm not completely convinced that Putin is the expansionist that people are saying he is. Is he to a certain degree? Probably. But does he want to take over all of the former Russian territories? If he could wave his hand and do it, he probably would. But, like, is he realistically going to try that? I don't think so. Do you believe, what, what does neoconservatism mean to you, Josh? I mean, I'm not asking you for a formal definition, but when I say neoconservatism, what, what, do, you, what do you hear? I hear warmonger. Okay. When I say the American century, what do you hear? I hear the uh, post-World War II America, how like the whole world was kind of suffering after the First World War, and we came out on top. We kind of did what we wanted. We, we had, as some people have called it, this unipolar moment, which I think has kind of gone to the wayside. Do you believe we've built an empire? Yes. Do you believe we've behaved well as an empire? No. See, I disagree I with you there. Really? I think in the aggregate, America has behaved well. I think we've obviously done some things wrong, but but I still go back to the linear graph, you know, and I've done this a lot, you know, relative good, relative bad. America's been relatively good for the world. I mean, I, I really believe that. Rick was saying, I mean, it was so interesting to hear Rick say, you know, we did this and we did that. Well, we did. I mean, we, we put the world back together after the Second World War. And I think we, by and large, have done okay. Um, I agree we haven't been like complete conquerors, if that's what you mean. <laughs> I do think that we could have handled things better. Again, hindsight 2020. Well, and, and I think one of the fair war- the fairest warning was by Eisenhower when he talked about the impact or effect of the military-industrial complex. And, and I, my, I mean, I'm guilty as charged. I mean, I can't speak for Rev, but, but Reagan inspired me. And, and Reagan was a neocon. I mean, Reagan, I mean, obviously he was a, he was a little bit of a disruptor and a revolutionary in the, you know, I'm, I'm here to make the government's here or what, what did he say famously? Um, the government is here and we're here yeah, to help I'm from the federal government. I'm here to help, help or yeah. something to that. I mean, that, that was kind of a sarcastic line that he coined and, um, and you know, and that, that was probably the most impressionable period of my life when it came to politics. I mean, Reagan probably helped me shape to some degree ill-informed my political worldview. And I mean, if this guy, I liked him, he's, he's, he's articulate, he's eloquent. He's a statesman. I mean, he, you know, he's the guy that we need to be president at this moment in time. Cause I watched my father struggle during the Carter malaise, you know, it was a business person and, you know, oil embargoes and American insecurity and all, and Reagan shows up and I mean, a little bit larger than life. And, uh, I bought into that. And I never questioned neoconservatism. I mean, you know, why wouldn't Bush 41 be a good president? Reagan thought he'd be a good vice president, so he just took him at his word. And, and you know, then Clinton comes along, and Clinton's a neocon. Um, Gingrich is a neocon. W obviously is a neocon. And W's White House was so influenced by neoconservatism, Rumsfeld and Cheney and all these others right. And, and, but I remember a moment, and I don't know exactly when it was, but I remember there was a moment I was like, why are we in all these damn wars? I mean, why we got all these, 
with all these foreign investments made in military armaments. Why are we that concerned about what happens in? Why? I mean, if it's if it's all humanitarian, why aren't we, you know, dropping bombs in Sudan? You know, in some of these other impoverished places around the world. And I began to kind of put together, uh, you know, my own beliefs. And and I, I remember thinking to myself, okay, war is unbelievably lucrative because I, you know, Eisenhower warned us about that. And I'm no longer a neocon. I mean, I'm a convert. I spent the majority of my adult life, politically or not, and, you know, from the when I got involved in politics, obviously, I had to shape a view and be able to explain why I believed what I believed. But even when I didn't vote, I mean, I, I still believed in certain things, and, and I observed certain things, and I, and I would have been a neocon. I mean, I would have been one that said, you can't trust the world to do what the world does unless America's pulling the trigger, you know, or kind of turning the, turn the wrenches, so to speak. I mean, we're better than they are. We're more trustworthy. We're more uh, honorable. We're more dignified. I mean, we are America, man. I mean, you know, you can't trust those damn Soviets and Chinese and uh, Japanese and all that. I mean, they, they, they'll screw this thing up. And, and, and recently, and I, and I don't know that, but it, it's uh, my conversion happened before Trump. I mean, it really did. I, I remember the first night on YouTube, I heard Peter Thiel speak and I remember like, wow. Okay. I mean, I get it now. I mean, I, th- this is the guy that explains exactly how I feel about China, about intervention, about foreign wars, about warmongering, about the military industrial complex. And, and I think a lot of other people began questioning why they fell. I don't say why they drank the Kool-Aid. That's a bad analogy. Well, see, I believe the American empire is far more good than bad. Far more? Yes. Mm. I do. Based on? Well, ba- first of all, if there's any humanitarian need in the world, who do they look to to lead? And we step up. We do. Right? We do. That's good. Okay. And because we have the ability to do it. I'm not saying America's perfect, and certainly we have different people in charge that make different decisions sure. and, 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 and with different motivations, right? But I think— uh, to- What has America largely been motivated by, Rev? Well, I think America at its founding has certain values that other, as far as nation values go, they don't have. The promotion of human liberty and dignity? Yeah. Is that fair? I think that's fair. Uh, the exporting of democracy in some weird way? You know, what, whatever whatever the closest government to democracy we can get in this country, let, let's try to yeah, fan the For the, the people, by that. the people. I, I mean, that's Arab a great idea. And all these other sorts of things. I, I, I don't disagree with that, but I, but I also think the central driver of the American empire was what every other empire was motivated by, and that's power. Yes, yeah, corrupted by power and money. Sure. I mean, it, no question about it. I do believe some of the objectives were sincere. I mean, I think America believes sincerely at its core that any time they can help people be prosperous, liberated, and free, what we need to have some role, if possible, in in promoting that, advancing that. But but I think that's always been in competition with you know. But but if we, I mean, foreign aid is is kind of chits in a game. I mean, it's you know we give this to have more power here, we give that to have more power there. I, I don't think, I mean, I'll say this. I don't think we're a benevolent country. I mean, I think we've struggled trying to find benevolence and power and influence around the world. I'm not, I'm not disparaging. I mean, obviously if you're, I mean, if you're believing in a theme or, or, or system of government, why wouldn't you want other people to enjoy um, some of the benefit? But, but I just think that, um, I think post second world war was, 
I think we were the country to be standing. I mean, I, I'm proud that mm-hmm. we've done, and and I'm with you. I think, by and large, we've been better for mankind than not. But but I think we can't disguise ourselves as benevolent. It's been about power. It, it's been but, about, well when you're when you are the the quote preeminent superpower, right? You do have to fight a little bit to maintain that position. You do. In a way. Yeah, because they're going to be competing forces. Sure. China, you know, um, Russia, the former Soviet Union. Fair, fair enough. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Jamie in Darlington. Good morning, Jam. morning, guys. I, I think Reagan was a neocon, but I think he was measured power through strength. I mean, I mean, he took us to war in Grenada, but that was more of an exercise than anything else. But um, compared to Lindsey Graham, I think Lindsey would say, let's spend everything that we have in our arsenal um, against a certain idea. Um, I think Reagan would do it through strength. But the reason I called was um, this thing in Israel uh, may shake up the, um, the power struggle in the, in the house. Uh, I know that McCarthy said after he was ousted, he said, well, you know, my name is still in in the ring. And uh, if I get elected back, I'll take the position. Well, Now that this thing has happened in Israel, I think McCarthy is the strongest of all three um, who are, you know, vying for that position again. I'm a big Jim Jordan fan, but I think McCarthy has a lot more pull and uh, influence when it comes to Israel. And, uh, you know, if if that's what they choose to do, I could could go with McCarthy again. I think he realized that these – these um, other Republicans are serious when he says, do not deal with the Democrats. Let's, you know, do our agenda first. So I think this thing in Israel may have shaken up that, um, that whole process this week. Thank you, Jam. See, I heard a lot of that and that concerns me. I mean, it can, I, I mean, I've heard a lot since Saturday, exactly what Jam reiterated. And, and I'll tell you why it concerns me. I don't know that we should be choosing a speaker based on what's happening between um, Hamas, Hezbollah, and Israel. I, I just It's the United States Congress. I mean, I understand it, and I heard it over and over and over again. How will this affect the speaker's race? Well, it will, but it shouldn't is the point I'm making. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Who are the most impactful figures of the American century? Is it? Is it Truman? I mean, obviously he'd He's be on the big, list. Yeah, yeah, but no doubt about it. Um, Eisenhower, without question, Certainly. would be one of the Reagan. I mean, would Reagan be one of the most impactful figures in the American century? Um, are there any non-Americans? Churchill, um, the non-Americans most impactful in the American um, century. And you know, I remember younger Josh, not not as young as you, because I had no political interest at all when I was your age. Um, it was natural lot girls and two eighty ZXs is what I was far more interested in. In, um, in that order? Yeah. Well, it depended. Yeah. Uh, it depended. Uh, that was for inflation was rampant. And you could buy a weekend's worth of natural lot for fifteen, ten dollars. Really? You know, a hundred natural lots for ten dollars. Now it's, you know, three beer for ten dollars. But anyway, it's um inflation is rampant we'll just we'll leave it at that I, you want to buy it in the stadium you won't get one for ten dollars it's crazy what things cost that's right it is crazy what things cost um and it's everywhere i mean it's it's when you go to to to, to 
buy a meal, you, you go to buy groceries, you buy gas, you, I mean, you, you go into a, uh, a what about the, with CVS or Walgreens and you get something you need, you know, ibuprofen or whatever. And it's like, wow. Um, I mean, it's just, it's absurd what things cost today, but that's the price you pay when you stimulate the economy in the nature we did. Have you thought about the, uh, with a conflict in the Middle East, like it's happening right now? I mean, what happens to oil prices I, I and gas no prices? I mean, it, the, the oil companies have figured out a way to make it catastrophic, you know, um, <laughs> hurricane off the coast, catastrophic, um, you know, uncertainty in the, or unsettled, uh, political politics in the, in the Middle East. Guys, here's here's what I'll say, and and I go back to Alan Jackson, and uh, where were you when the world stopped turning? Uh, I'm a simple man. Uh, I mean, I think I could pick Iraq and Iran off the map. I, you know, Alan Jackson kind of pokes fun at himself, saying, "I'm not sure I can tell you where Iraq and Iran." I mean, I know enough to be dangerous about Hamas and Hezbollah, um, the Gaza Strip, the West Bank, um, the Palestinians, the Jews, the Canaanites. I mean, I, you know, I know, if I, I know enough about the, that to be dangerous, but I think I know enough to understand that peace in the Middle East is going to come and go. It's never going to be sustained. I mean, you've got, you've got terrorist organizations funded by Muslim governments, uh, you know, that, that promote genocide. And you've got the people that they want to exterminate from the planet Earth right in the middle of these, these nations that harbor terrorism, that fund terrorism, that, I mean, how do you argue that Iran's not pro-genocide? I mean, if Iran funnels $100 million a year to Hamas, and Hamas is on the record that they would love to kill every Jew that has ever lived, how is that not pro-genocide? I mean, you don't say that on the world stage because that's controversial and complicated. I, I, I just... America could spend every dollar it ever generates in its economy, and it's not going to change the hearts and minds and souls of those people. That, that there is deep, deep, I mean, it's not division. I mean, this is so much more intense than political division. Reb believes in, in a big government. I believe in a small government. I mean, they ain't, they ain't hashing out Hamiltonian, Jeffersonian government in the Middle East. And, and I have no idea what God's plan was, you know, when um. When when the the Red Sea was parted, I mean, the, the the Jews like to say if we turned left and instead of right, we'd had all that oil, and um, and the world would be a, well, it would be a fundamentally different different place, and I mean that's a bit tongue in cheek, but it's been a very controversial part of the world for as long as I've been alive. I was thinking about during the last break. When do I remember terrorism? And I think it might have been the '72 Beirut Olympics. Remember the um. The Jewish wrestling team. Somebody killed one of the members of the Jewish wrestling team. I think it was in 72, and I think it might have been in Munich. Uh, Munich, Germany is where that happened. But one of the, I mean, there, there was a terrorist act there. And I can remember as somebody who liked playing sports, you know, if you, if you, I mean, you're not as good as you think you are, uh, but you're a kid, you don't know any better. So I want to compete in the Olympics. And I can remember um, the, the Israeli wrestling team were attacked by a, a terrorist. And I can remember thinking to myself, well, I don't want to do that. I mean, I don't want to go to the Olympics if you have to, you know, but, but I'm a kid. I mean, I'm real naive and gullible and impressionable and don't understand much at all about uh, the world around me. But that was probably m my introduction to terrorism. 
but it was in a land far, far away, and I could stay out of its way, and all of a sudden, 9-11 happens. Remember uh, the, the bombing of the World Trade Centers from the basement, I mean, mm-hmm. from the parking garage. Yeah, and um, I mean, th- at some point in time in my development, Josh, I'll ask you, you're a younger guy, when did terrorism become real to you? 9-11? You were how old when 9-11 happened? Three. Okay, you don't understand 9-11. You don't remember 9-11. Nope. So, 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 see, that's 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 crazy to me that we got a guy sitting in our midst who was three years old when 9-11 happened. So when did you become aware of fanatical Islamic terrorism? Uh, I mean, I was definitely growing up in a post-9-11 world, so okay. I'd heard about it. I guess the kind of... Uh, um residents that 9-11 had, I've never truly experienced it in the way that you guys did. Being an adult. Yeah. Being panic-stricken, yeah. being he's nervous. Always, right. He's always lived in, basically in a world yeah. that terrorism existed. I mean, to me, the I, history of 9-11. Like, certain, you know, like, I'm pro-gun and everything, but, like, this weekend I went to the mall and uh, in Charlotte, and I was like, I hadn't been to the mall in forever, but I was like, oh, you know, like, is, we, we good here, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That, that's every mall yeah. USA. Yeah, I mean that, that is every mall USA. That is really every community USA. And I mean, this would be a a good time for my public service announcement. If you're out there thinking about owning and learning how to discharge a firearm, do it. I think it's the wisest thing an American can do today. Understand, be be be, be certified to carry a weapon and understand the seriousness that goes along with carrying a weapon. And I'm not talking about just know how to target shoot. I'm talking about contemplate what you would do if in a rare moment, I hope it never happens, but in that rare moment, you have to point a gun at another human being and consider whether to pull the trigger or not in the name of self-defense, in the name of, you know, defending yourself, your family, your property. I just think that's something that, I mean, the Second Amendment doesn't say, you know, all that. But I do think that, you know, the human condition requires every single person who goes and gets registered, buy a firearm, register the firearm, carry the firearm, learn how to discharge the firearm, but also seriously contemplate what it would be like if in that rare moment you were forced to take a firearm, you're not running for the hills. I mean, if you don't have a gun, you run, right? I mean, I, I, I've had, I've heard of classes that instruct a gun owner to run, if at all possible. The only time you 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 discharge the gun, trying to hurt or kill someone, is if you can't run, if you can't flee. That's kind of an interesting concept. I got a gun, and you're teaching me to use the gun, and you're telling me instead of using the gun to run. I think that's probably pretty smart in the grand scheme of things. Take a break. Back in a few moments. It is time for our Takes Mondays to make Friday's trivia. Brought to you by our good friends at Pepsi of Florence. Um, it's been a Celsius-free edition of Wake <laughs> Up Carolina. Uh, a non-caffeine-induced four hours of radio mediocrity. Would have been better. Enhanced. Yeah. But my, my buddy Les Ward texts me itself. Never again. Never will it happen <laughs> again. But I've gone from one a day to two a day. So it was nobody's fault but mine. Oh, okay. Um, Your the, needs uh, have changed. Yeah, the stash doesn't <laughs> last as long as it once did. When you, well, let me think about it. When you go from two to one, that's 100% increase. Yeah. That's double the amount, Rev. Yeah. Here's the question. Talked about the Braves a second ago. Talked about the um, the regular season. 
More likely than not, Ron Lacuna will be named National League MVP, probably MLB MVP. There's kind of some irony between the the series that is being played, uh, the Braves are in now. Dale Murphy won two consecutive MVPs back in the day. Murphy did not end his career as a Brave. Where did he go immediately following his trade from Atlanta? Where did Dale Murphy get traded to from Atlanta? He ended up playing with three teams, but this is the team right after, I think it was 1990 or 91, that he gets traded from Atlanta to where? Hmm. 843-661-0937 is our number. I think Acuna will be named MVP. I think Acuna probably had the greatest offensive year a Brave has ever had, but Dale Murphy won back-to-back MVPs, was a longtime favorite of Atlanta and its fan base, but then he got traded, and he got traded to whom in the 19, I think it was either 90 or 91 season, 843-661-0937. Thanks to our good friends at Pepsi of Florence. Do we have... Well, we don't, but we were having a little phone issue right before the okay, came out of the break there. Okay, but you told me the phone there. issue was it, fixed. It was, and, it was. And let's do the trivia, right? But it may not be. Okay. So, yeah, that was a... I'm thinking it's not. I'm, th- yeah. I'm thinking not, too, I'm, because... I'm thinking it might be. I figured there, we'd there. get some guesses on that one. Oh, here comes something. Hi, you are on. You know the answer? Yeah, the Philadelphia Phillies. You're right. The irony, the Braves well, and Phillies play go. tonight. Dale Murphy got traded from Atlanta to Philadelphia. Who is this and where are you calling from? This is Steve in Florence. Okay, Steve, sit tight. We'll get you back to Josh. You'll get your information, and you could come out, or either we'll get you some way, somehow, get you a six-pack of Pepsi product and some Takes Mondays to make Friday's T-shirt. I think the winner gets a six-pack of Pepsi product and a couple of Takes Mondays um, to make Friday's T-shirts. Thanks, Steve, for listening. Thanks for um, calling in. Thanks to all of our – I mean, this was a rambling show. You know, last week was my wheelhouse. I mean, the economy and debt and – what the government's doing, not doing. But but you start talking about lands far, far away. I mean, it's real complicated to fully understand and grasp what America should or should not do, what Israel should or should not do, who's got the high ground on every issue at every turn. Um, we'll do the best we can to extend the conversation tomorrow and maybe move on to something different. Enjoy your Monday.